Sub Freaks, it's your boy Marty Bent here to introduce this episode of Tales from the Crypt. I sat down with a gentleman named Joel, aka Untapped Growth. Incredible conversation. Mind was blown. We're really going to fix the world, freaks. It's because of individuals like Joel doing hard work, working from first principles to solve hard problems, but systemic problems that need to be fixing. If people like Joel weren't working to fix these very hard problems, I'd, I'd have a lot less hope for humanity. The problem he's working on specifically is getting humanity back to to nature, back to soil, back to creating fertile ground for future generations, specifically by using regenerative cattle ranching techniques, getting pure cattle, bringing back the land, bringing back good topsoil to the land that has been destroyed by the fiat farming system, the fiat food system that has made everything an input and an output and really made everything a machine when it shouldn't be. We live in nature and among nature. We are nature, and we need to get back to our nature. And, and Joel is working hard to get us there. I think you guys are going to love this rip. It's brought to you by our good friends at the motherfucking Cash App. Cash App's helping you stack sats, send sats, receive sats, sell sats. If you so please. We're saying sats, 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 because sats are the standard. There's 100 million sats in one Bitcoin. You don't have to buy a whole Bitcoin. and stack whole sats, okay? You get your cash card. You get your Bitcoin back boost. Your sats back boost. You go spend it somewhere. Visa's accepted. Boom. Sats back. Cash App can be your bank account. They're offering account numbers, rallying numbers. You can get your paychecks direct deposited into the app. Boom. Stack sats. You can DCA in the sats by weekly, daily, weekly, bi-weekly. Set it and forget it by a certain amount of sats on that cadence. If you haven't downloaded the Cash App yet, make sure you do so using the code stacking sats. That's S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S. You're going to get $10, and $10 is going to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse. That's Owls Lacrosse. Woo! 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 Owls Lacrosse. This rip was also brought to you by our good friends at Hoddle Hoddle. Hoddle Hoddle is helping you stack sats outside the U.S. Sorry, U.S. customers can't stack sats there, but you can use their Lend and Hoddle Hoddle product. It's a new non-custodial Bitcoin-backed lending platform that allows peer-to-peer lending and borrowing between users globally, anonymously, and on your own terms. If you're short of funds, you don't want to sell your Bitcoins, you can get some liquidity by borrowing on Hoddle Hoddle. You use your Bitcoin as collateral, and the great thing is they're leveraging Bitcoin's native properties, its multi-sig properties, specifically, uh, you don't need to entrust someone with your funds. You keep it in escrow, you hold a key, and you can always guarantee that it is remaining in escrow and is not being rehypothecated. No KYC, no AML, anonymous Bitcoin lending. It's beautiful. If you have some stable coins laying around and you want to get some returns on those, you can uh, offer those stable coins on the other side of that book and get some return on that. Again, if you're outside the U.S., they have an exchange. This Lend product's available to U.S. clients. Um, so go check it out. On your own terms, globally, anonymously, no KYC, no AML. Go to lend.hodlhodl.com. That's lend.hodlhodl.com. This rip is also brought to you by good friends at Compass Mining. Compass Mining is trying to make mining easy for individuals. One of the hardest things... Uh, for individuals when they get into the mining game is actually acquiring mon- a miner and uh, plugging in at a low power cost. 
and Compass Mining is here to make that process easy. You go to compassmining.io, you pick a miner model, miner model that's available. They'll get it for you. Uh, you'll be able to track it with with its VN number uh, and make sure that they're plugging it in and a hosting provider that you choose. They have hosting providers with competitive power cost. So you, you pick your miner, you pick your hosting facility, they get the miner, they plug it in at the hosting facility, and then you tell them where to send the sats, and you stack sats via mining. It's a beautiful thing. Go to compassmining.io, C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G.io uh, to check out what they have to offer. They're, they're really working on customer service and making this as easy as possible so that individuals can get into mining. I believe I saw Wick Gibbs, their CEO, announced that... Uh, Compass Mining customers mine more than 10 Bitcoin last month, which is incredible material. So go check them out, compassmining.io. Last but not least, this rip was brought to you by our good friends at Brains. Brains just fucking crushing it, doing incredible things for a long time. They run Slush Pool, the oldest uh, Bitcoin mining pool in existence, the first one to ever come to market. Uh, brains are leaders in the mining industry. They've been running slush pools since 2013, like I mentioned. Back in 2018, they released the first free and open source firmware of AmpMiner's S9 so that miners would have an alternative to Bitmain firmware. And the Bitmain firmware was doing some sketchy stuff. It was really important to have this decentralization after the AMP lead fiasco of 2017. And it, it was discovered that Bitmain was putting backdoors into the firmware that could uh, brick miners from from a from a decentralized location from a remote location that's what i want to say remotely power off the asics i don't know about brick them but it could turn them off bitman had that backdoor brains fixed it uh they verified the s9s could run about 13 percent more officially more efficiently with over asic boost um but it wasn't public they made it public with brains os their firmware that they offer miners that allows them to stack more stats again that's brains os plus custom auto-tuning firmware to give miners more control over their ASICs and help them stack more sets. Currently, that firmware is supporting uh, AntMiner S9s in the S17 and T17 generation, and the dev team is working on what's miners. They're also working on the open source initiative uh, uh, Stratum V2 in development with Matt Corallo and Square Crypto. Uh, they already have it implemented in Slushpool, and it's included in the Brains OS Plus firmware. If you're running that, you can already get access to it. And they also push out a lot of good content. I posted a, a story or a content piece they put out about uh, replacing transactions that get stuck in the mempool, replaced by fee, child pays for parent, uh, speeding up transactions via the mining pool. Incredible content. They have their profitability calculator as well if you're a miner. Go check it out. Brains, B-R-A-I-I-N-S.com. Check all this out, all the content, the calculator, the firmware, the pool, it's all there. Shout out to the Brains team, shout out to all of our sponsors, shout out to you freaks. Enjoy this episode with Joel, working on very, very important things that we should all be focused on. Bitcoiners are strong, we're going to build a future of asynchronous sovereignty. It's happening. It's happening right now, freaks. We need more strong men and women to stand up, and we're lucky to have a strong man like Joel on the front lines, getting us closer to freedom. Enjoy. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts. 
all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. One. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy, Marty Bent. First interview I've done in two weeks. I'm feeling a little rusty right now, Joel, but I'm very excited for this conversation. How the hell are you? Dude, I'm stoked, man. This is going to be a blast. I got so <laughs> much fun stuff that I think we're going to get into. We're going to have a hard time keeping it to a normal time period here. Yeah, uh, especially if we're going to be Bill Gates bashing uh, at some point. So <laughs> I was just telling you, we're, we're strong Bill Gates haters here. Why the hell do we put up with this man? Why? What does he get to tell us what to do? Uh, the kind of guy who causes the problem and swoops in as a savior, not my kind of friend. Right, right. He's evil. We'll get to him, though. First, to describe how we got here, right? Like, so I, I, I guess how we got connected. I mean, I've been crossing paths with you on Twitter for feels like years now. Uh, but after my Paul Atoy episode about Sphinx, during which we talked about um, setting up a, a Sphinx tribe with a rancher who could get paid to raise cattle on behalf of individuals uh, via sats, uh, somebody responded to that announcement tweeted that podcast said hey you have to talk, talk to untapped growth and what he's working paul, on paul actually mentioned me he goes i know there's a bitcoin guy out there working on this i'm not <laughs> sure who it is i want to get connected with that guy so he's referencing you directly i think he was because i've not met another bitcoin cattle guy if there is i'd like to meet you <laughs> we work together. well then i mean after that we hopped into dms and started talking to each other and you sent me uh plans for this regenerative cattle ranching co-op uh, sort of investment thesis that you're putting out there trying to get people more connected with their food and, and give them an opportunity to to invest directly in, in cattle ranching i guess is that is that a correct uh, description of what you're you're trying to do here yeah it's a restoration of self-sovereignty where we can secure for our families not just monetary wealth like we're doing with bitcoin but the actual production from the ground of the things we need for the cornerstones of our lives. Right. Um, like I keep coming back to that quote about like food, the ground, like who controls, controls like the ground of the territories, then the energy controls the world. The Kissinger quote, you want me to pull it up for you? You familiar with that one? I think I, I can I pull it I up. It to, I'll pull it up. It you keep, I'll pull it up. I'll, you keep talking. Cool. Um, so let me swipe back to you. I was going to pull it up. Um, so like, cause we can have all the money in the world, but if nobody's producing, we won't have food. And we as a society have just continuously in our arrogance, obfuscated risk over and over and over again in every element of our society to the point where like us Bitcoiners know it, right? Like the broken incentives of the fiat system have just destroyed fucking everything. It's just, it's just screwed shit up. And when you see it, it's like, you know it in your world and you're like, man, this is bad. But you just kind of tend in the back of your mind. You're like, okay, but everything else is probably okay because you don't really think about it. And then when you start learning about a new world, you're like, shit, this is screwed up too. Until you finally like, like you got to admit how deep the darkness goes. Like everything is fucked. <laughs> right. I mean, and, I think the last year has really driven that home for a lot of people. 
uh, yeah, the micromanagement of the economy and then the micromanagement of, of people and their ability to move and big pharma basically taking over Bill Gates, taking over, um, forcing new products on, onto individuals, uh, to the point where if they don't take them, they're not going to be allowed to integrate back into society. At least, uh, that's the narrative that's going around now and needs to be pushed back on. Yep. So, I mean, I even found Bitcoin because of some of this. I was working on building kind of self-sovereign communities for years now. Um, my thesis always was actually that our cornerstone of building a better world is going to start in the heart because we've lost our way as a generation of men. If you kind of start at the very beginning, right? Like, uh, like I love a quote by Dallas Willard. He says, the whole history of humanity is God trying to entrust men with authority and power and men proving unworthy of it. So it's like, if we want to build, we need to be a men of character again, you know, men of competence, skill, capability. And with our whole breakdown of the family unit, I mean, there's all the different things we know that caused that. So many of us are like, we had dads, we didn't really have fathers. We didn't get that masculine community of being around these people that put into our souls that driving confidence of character but a stand amidst the tide of a world that's going crazy right and we see that out there it's like everybody's just getting swept along with all this propaganda and i mean we've got as few bitcoiners scattered across the world who are the black sheep you still remember how to stand and we're standing a distributed way together but i mean we're definitely kind of the, the minority here the people capable of it so my life from the very beginning was like, okay, let's fix that problem first. How do we go out there and help men learn how to be men again? Like I'm, that's even why I started my first company. We're doing contracting work. I'm bringing in high school, college kids for summer work, mentoring them hands-on where I'm giving them something. They can break it. I'll help them fix this, like fix it. Like after they sink the ship, get back rolling again, put them in charge of running the crew, help them like build like uh, maybe their own company after they work for me once a while for a while and I teach them about leadership and like sales and all that other stuff right but as I'm building all this network it's like okay I'm being really successful I've got a lot of young guys that are starting to come up or a few young guys that are starting to come up and they're really becoming capable but like at some point we're gonna have to do commerce in a censorship resistant way because the state's just in our business. I mean, I knew at that point as a small business owner about cash structuring laws where they're doing like forfeitures and seizing of your assets and that stuff that's happened all over the country to small businesses, especially in the farming community. Um, and so I'm like, okay, we need to solve this. So I'm looking for a way to do trade among like these things I'm trying to build. And so I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to fix this problem. But first step of fixing any problem is you go do some research, right? see if anybody else is working on it. Lo and behold, there's Bitcoin. Like not only is somebody working on it, like this thing is freaking incredible. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have been on this thing for iterations of different projects with like all the stuff that Sabo and eCash and all that stuff before, right? And um, so like I was working on Citadel Theory before I even knew Citadel Theory was a thing. It's just all this kind of came together and I found my people, man. It's been beautiful. Right. And it's, it feels like it's happening. Slowly but surely, like you said, Bitcoiners are distributed around the world, black sheep, very small minority, but the power of the digital age, I mean, like, I think American Hoddle tweeted out, like, quote, tweeting one of my tweets, I forget exactly what it was, but it was just like, like Bitcoiners are like the pros of, of the black sheep or the, the mis 
misfits in, in high school and they've, they've all figured out a way to meet each other um, on the yep. internet. And like before, before the internet, it wasn't possible. They were always just misfits on their own in their own little lo- locale. And uh, n- not until today have they been able to get together and be like, Hey, we're, maybe we're not that crazy. Maybe our ideas can get stronger and be brought to fruition in the world, uh, which is a beautiful thing to see. And I, I mean, I don't think there's any stopping Bitcoin or the power and passion behind Bitcoiners. And I don't want to blow too much smoke up our ass, but I've been saying this a lot too, is like we need strong men and women to stand up in this insane world and start speaking sense. And uh, I think Bitcoiners are some of the strongest voices, men and women uh, standing up and saying, this is fucking insane. We need to have sanity reign supreme we can't just keep going down this path or it's literally going to ruin society and yep. i've got the kissinger quote up and i think it ties in nicely to what you ended that last uh topic on which is citadel theory and bitcoin really bitcoin in combination with what you're doing really makes citadel theory possible uh in the words of henry kissinger who controls the food supply controls the people who controls the energy can control whole continents who controls money can control the world so with bitcoin mining like these flare stacks behind me if you find these disparate energy sources you plug in bitcoin mining you've got energy that's turning into hard money and then around this energy source you can build a community um hopefully with some grazing cattle and, and provide food as well. Completely cut yourself off from this insane government-driven world that we've been thrown into. Yep. Yeah, I, uh, I love that idea of us all being the black sheep coming together. Like, um, I've been thinking about, like, with humans, right? Each phase change of civilization has kind of happened around an advancement and collaboration technology. So like our first collaboration tech was language, right? Now we can speak in a way where we can communicate to greater depth, like tapping deeper deeper roots down and greater spread, like growing the branches of the tree out farther because we have this ability to like share things in a more effective manner with language. Like tech two was money, right? Now we can store time so that we can exchange that collaboration over distance and like time itself. Stage three is what I think Paul and these guys are building. It's like this distributed consensus tech on the backbone of like what Bitcoin enables. So like it builds this whole marketplace where you can do this really powerful trust dis or trust minimized like asynchronous distributed collaboration. So it's like we're almost like becoming like all of us black sheep a like a a distributed nation state that was like just asynchronously over time and space standing in unity together. We don't have armies on our side, but like, dude, people don't know what's coming for them as the Bitcoin world is waking up. It's just, it's like a whole new thing. It's like the next stage of society. Well, you were describing where you are. I don't want to dox your location if you don't want to be doxed, but uh, a lot of- No, I'm I'm cool with it. In Virginia, um, where a lot of the, the- uh, battles that eventually led led to us winning the revolutionary war were fought and one thing about the founding fathers and their war tactics was their guerrilla war tactics right and what we're doing with bitcoin is guerrilla warfare in the digital age exactly 
and we're doing it asynchronously over time and space to get this new consensus tool that Bitcoin enables. It is a beautiful thing. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's happening, right? And does it feel? To me, it feels inevitable at this point. Like you're not putting you're not putting the monster back in the cage. You're not putting Pandora back in the box. You're you're. It's too late. The time to kill Bitcoin was at some point in the past, and it's not to say we don't have battles before us, but it, it just like it allows it is enabling too much freedom in the digital age right now. Like we have the ability, we have a tool to build and get claw our way out of this terrible dystopian Orwellian digital panopticon we've been thrown into. I totally agree. It's like you could feel the momentum shift that happened this year. It's just, there's just everything just feels like it's locked. Like we needed that base layer of the technology, right? Of the money protocol to ossify so we could start building. Because until that did, the foundation is not totally solid because that's our, that's our cornerstone. That's our, like our point that we're all anchored to, to operate from. But like that's, that's gone now, man. There ain't no stopping anymore. So when you step back, right? Like, okay, we're guerrilla warfare in like a asynchronous nation state of Bitcoiners. And what's the first thing we need next to start stepping into Citadel theory world, right? Like, well, we need real production for the core of our food supplies. We need good earth because that's where all wealth froze from, right? I mean, that's the original foundation of civilization. Um, like, like, I, like one of my favorite books is a, 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 it's called Dirt, The Erosion of Civilizations. It's a guy who did a study on the history of like all these different cultures and people groups, like the Aztecs, the Romans. And he looked at all of them and he proved out this theory where when a nation or civilization was investing in their soil fertility, that they would prosper for generations. I mean, because when you have fertile soil, right? You have really high quality food and you have this huge reservoir of wealth supporting your nation, right? But the quality food has other secondary knock-on effects. Like you have more intelligent, healthy warrior class because they're stronger your scholar and intellectual class, your tradesmen, like your like merchants, they all have this higher capacity because they're just functioning at their optimal prime as human beings, right? But typically when a nation starts extracting their fertility from their soil without building it, where they're just taking from it, like we do with central banking, right? You're borrowing against the future. Those nations usually collapse within a generation or two and you can track it through every society in history. We're at that same place now where like it's the exact same thing as central banking, where we're borrowing from the future, hoping just to kick on like our production where it won't matter. And not only did we do it in our soil, I mean, we've kicked this on farther than I would have believed was possible. I mean, you got like the Dust Bowl that happened in the 1930s, right? Like we were close to collapse then, but we just booted up with doing all this soil amendments with fertilizers and pesticides and this, that, and the other, just driving the systemic risk deeper and deeper and deeper, making us more and more and more fragile to now where we've stripped our soil, we've stripped our banking sector, like there's nothing left to borrow from. And we're like, we're used to modernism. We're like, we think, okay, I'm wealthy with Bitcoin. I'll always be able to buy cattle with it, even if the cattle gets expensive. Like I always be able to buy meat, like maybe. <laughs> If you look at how deep the systemic risk is, I mean, every industry is so fragile. And I would say probably 
none more so than agriculture. I mean, we're at the point where we're putting more and more inputs into our soil to produce less and less crops to the point where they're just inches from collapse type situation. I mean, some places already are doing that. So let's dive into like, this is how systemic this risk is. Like getting into like the granularity. It's like how bad have we fucked up the soil? I know you mentioned uh, pesticides and, and like growth hormones. Like why is that a bad way to treat your soil? And what is the way in which we should be doing it? Like how, how can we get back to, to building rich soil? Yeah. So we, like we've done with a lot of things, we've approached our world like a machine, just like Keynesian economics, right? Where we in our arrogance think that we can reductionistically control all the variables to have an outcome that we pre-specify. So we're approaching the soil with these industrial processes that don't take the time to in humility submit to learning the wisdom of the system as it is as a whole. So we're trying to play with all these little levers and knobs thinking that we know enough that we can do this and it's going to work. And then like, lo and behold, something surprises us that we never would have thought was possible. Like we always knew it was possible. We just had dumb people doing it. Right. Same thing with economics. Right. So I mean, we're doing things like, like plowing our soil where we have just huge erosion rates, not keeping cover crops on them, not holding the soil down. So when you get rainfall on these bare exposed fields, it all just washes out to the rivers. I mean, we used to have in some areas of the Midwest, 10 to 15 feet of topsoil, which was our heritage of wealth that partly made us who we are as a nation. And that was built by the Native Americans and their management of burying the plains and the way the bison migrated. And we've just, over the 200 years of our nation, trashed it. I mean, to where now in some places you've got 10 12 14 inches if you're fucking lucky some places have one or two or none at all and it just collapsed and they're having to go through like a biological repair process and even then you get the university studies knowing how to fix the land using like holistic biological principles they fix it then we go right back to the same shit that broke it in the first place because we're idiots so like we're spraying with all these pesticides herbicides and chemicals those kill off the biology in the soil. You can think of soil biology like little miners, right? They go down in the soil. All soil is already mineral. It's just some sort of rock layer. That's the surface of the earth. If it wasn't, it'd be water or a volcano. There's like no other option. (laughs) So that organic matter of life is what takes something from just being dirt or like a mineral layer to actually being soil. So when we do all these types of farming where we're doing this heavy turnover, we're plowing it, which exposes erosion so you're washing away that biology layer or when you spray it with all this stuff and killing the biology you're crippling the very mechanism that makes soil soil you're just destroying it thinking that we can tear like a chemistry experiment and it still works and secret it it doesn't (laughs) um like like little rabbit trail there's people who are doing this the right way and the stuff that becomes possible when you approach this from a correct first principle is mind-blowing. Um, like a company you guys would probably love to look into. It's called Advancing Eco-Agriculture, built by a guy named John Kemp. He's an Amish fellow or worked in the Amish community. They have proven out that doing a biological cropping system with their style, you can raise crops in the middle of a pestilent situation where all the world around you is getting destroyed by locusts 
and they won't touch your crops. How? How do they do reason, that? Reason being, so crops have these stages of health. He calls it the plant health pyramid. When you advance up to a higher state of being in your crop health, it changes the, meta, the metabolic processes of the plant, right? So you think about athletes. A lot of us are carnivore in the Bitcoin community. An athlete is running on a high sugar metabolism. is never going to have the endurance of somebody who's used to intermittent fasting keto, right? So you got that, or like people who are, have a poor metabolic health, they like are more susceptible to COVID and all this stuff, right? It's just one of those foundations of how your resilience functions with everything. So what they proved with those crops, the pests that are destroying the crops have a very simple digestive tract. They can consume simple sugars. When these plants advance due to the biology of the soil, the plant advances to a higher stage of health where it's functioning off of more complex carbohydrates and complete amino acids. The, the biology and the microorganisms in the soil actually go out, they mine the nutrition from the soil, they form it into these more complex structures through like a, almost like a neurological signaling in the roots and how it communicates, which I'm sure Brandon Clinton gets into that stuff <laughs> right. with like all that world. He, he knows way more about that than I do, I'm sure. But um, so it makes those compounds available to the plant because the plant can't make them. So it's like a symbiosis. The plant absorbs them as these whole structures. And now its metabolism advances to the higher state of being. So if the locust comes and bites it, there's nothing to extract from his bloodstream. There's no nutrition there the locust can process. It's too advanced of a life form for the locust to eat. So they leave it alone. Holy shit. Yeah, same thing with disease. It's like in their fields, when they treat their crops appropriately, the pest type plants actually get diseased and get consumed by the locust or like whatever other like aphids or whatever's in the field. And his crops thrive. So if you look at the borders, they'll all get eaten if somebody goes by like a locust swarm, but all his crops are fine. It's fucking incredible. That's insane. I can't stop thinking about a documentary I watched a few months ago at my wife, The Biggest Little Farm. Did you see that? Yep. Yeah, I've you... not seen it, but a couple of my buddies told me about it. Uh, well, like, and, and I'd be, uh, like, I mean, the way, so they had like a regenerative farming consultant, I guess, the dude who helped them like start the farm. They just bought some land in California that was pretty desolate and soil was shit. And it was like a four-year process. They took it from like desolate land to like a thriving farm ecosystem. And that was like the beauty of the movie. It was like really highlights how integrated everything is and how every every little part of the farm from the worms that were used to regenerate the soil to the ducks that would eat the snails that would come in to the types of owls that would be in to eat the mice that would eat they just like the, the whole ecosystem and how important everything is and how connected everything is. I guess that's the point I'm trying to make. And uh, it seems like the factory farming world that we find ourselves in, just like you said, tries to, to push everything into uh, an input-output algorithm, if you will, that really just uh, takes away that connection that, that everything in an ecosystem has with each other to actually make it sustainable and healthy and viable yeah it's it's the same thing we do everywhere where we're unwilling to submit 
to the admission that we live in a world that's larger than us. I mean, that's what I think separates Austrian economics and Bitcoiners from the like rest of the like modern monetary theory peach, right? Is we're just willing to be humble about it. Like this is too big for me to control. There's wisdom there. We know how to apply it. It does work, but it's bigger than me. And I'm going to relate to it accordingly. It's like, like, I think that's what makes Bitcoin as a community different than everybody else too, is we as a people, because of the, we've proved it by being here, we have a stubborn dedication to finding first principles truth, but a capacity for humility of submitting to it, even when we hate it, when we find it. Yeah. Yeah, I can... I can agree with that. I mean, it's it's like one of those like early day narratives. Like, hey, Bitcoin is is a fast, easy, cheap payment system at the protocol layer. A lot of people thought that, and then the ones that weren't humble went on and tried to to start a new fork. And then those of us who were humble and said, yeah, maybe this is the limitation of the protocol. I would like it to be that way, but just unfortunately, the limitations are such that it isn't. And so, adapt and move on and accept it. Yep. I mean, we do this everywhere in our society. We do it in our approach to medicine, approach to money, approach to farming, approach to building. It's just ubiquitous. That's what scares me about like this mRNA vaccine and the normalization of it. It's like, you're really going to get in there and mess with like coding RNA. Yeah. Like how well do we actually understand that? You know, like, oh my God, we're living in a world bright with cancer and chronic disease. And we think we can actually edit our genome and not find blind spots. Right. Well, that's the other thing about this whole last year is the focus on medicine, medicine, scientists, science, authority. Like nobody wants to talk about getting healthy, eating correctly, exercising, like first principle, (laughs) like, Mm -hmm not common sense things like get outside get some like that's the thing that like really blows my mind about the lockdown specifically like it's becoming abundantly clear that the shit spreads indoors with poor ventilation and they're literally locking everybody indoors when they should be outdoors like getting vitamin d and breathing fresh oxygen instead go yep. outdoors put a mask on you can't have it. it's it's like mind control wizardry it's so fucking weird what's blowing my mind is how many people i'm seeing with just the side effect profile of the vaccine becoming normalized it's like you just talked to people, oh yeah i was on bed rest for four days after taking the vaccine i had a headache and i couldn't move yeah it's great i, I i'm good now like what what like <laughs> this how did this become normalized like if we could brainwash people about that i mean what can't we brainwash people about oh my god that's scary though like <laughs> it's like a divergence man like the sheep like the sheep and the rest of us but it's like how is this not common like and so again this whole conversation that we're having like why are people so susceptible to this virus because they're fucking obese like if it's 80 percent of the people are overweight and obese that tested positive um uh, people like it's something like 90 percent had comorbidities that died uh and everybody nobody wants to take personal responsibility they just want to be like uh we'll wait for the vaccine if you don't take the vaccine you're an evil person it's like i'm i like to think i'm healthy uh, and and i'm not really worried about it and i know we don't need to get on the COVID thing but i think it really highlights like just how fucking convoluted we are You, you get this healthy or unhealthy society both mentally and physically and they can't think straight 
and they don't eat well. Maybe they don't think straight because they don't eat well. You have high fructose corn syrup being forced on the nation and it's just breeding fucking hyperactive Neanderthals, if you will. I mean, like if you really want a mind bender, how much of this comes from our corrupted food supply where glyphosate is ubiquitous in everything? You can't even test a standard woman, American woman's breast milk without finding glyphosate in it, Roundup. It's in the feeding tubes of the babies in the NICUs. Like, it's in our rain. It's in everything. Like, so, like, that, all those, like, the glyphosate and all these soil amendments, they chelate the mineral in the soil structure. So, like, the plants can't get proper magnesium or, like, selenium or any of these things out of the soil. So, like, we're all nutrient deficient, no matter how hard we're trying, because you can't just, you can't even buy it. Like even the best food on the market, like often cases, it's still deficient because we've screwed our soil and our environment up so bad. How much is the people being sheep that are just dumb, emotionally erratic and volatile, just once again, another symptom of this large scale, large scale society cycle of we started stealing from our soil and now the people are falling apart. Right. I like, I really subscribe to this. Like, and so Owls Lacrosse, I'm sure many of you freaks are, are aware of Owls Lacrosse now due to the Cash App read. And it was like one, like it was, I volunteered there for three years, inner city Chicago, young, young children, like second grade through eighth grade. And that was like one of like the crazy things that I observed and, and really sort of grass really early on was the fact like these kids were in food deserts and they were basically just going to the gas station at the corner and eating honey buns and funyuns all day and drinking fruit drinks i mean the food they were getting at school wasn't wasn't nutritious at all they were just hyperactive crazy and angry and uh, it's uh, the diet is important especially at that young age right and it, it like affects the ability to pay attention which, eventually affects iq especially if you can't pay attention at an age in which your brain is 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 growing rapidly and, and forming long-term sort of structures that allow you to attempt to learn moving forward uh, it's not something that's talked about enough i agree i very strongly agree i mean like it's hard to sum it up it's like we as a society are constantly trying to build tower of babel where we're playing god I mean, if you even look at like how deep this goes, we like, we try to treat death as if we've conquered it, right? Like we just have like, if you get this vaccine, we're all safe and we're never going to die. Like, like, it's just like, we have this massive level of arrogance. We treat things that are just a part of being as if we've banished them and have total control over them. And we haven't, we just, we just freaking haven't. It's one of the creepiest trends coming out of silicon valley in the vc class is transhumanism like we're gonna live forever like we can figure it out it's creepy mm-hmm. and that's like a principle of life that we used to know as farmers and just as people closer to the earth like unless a seed falls into the ground and dies it does not bear any fruit right no greater love than this but a man lays down his life for another there's this place of being that like death itself this giving of your being is a form of becoming fully alive because that's a part of love. It's a part of life. That cycle in nature is even a part of who we are as humans. It's like, I mean, even look at like the gospel story, right? Like God himself came down to die so that we might have life. 
Right. I mean, it's part of this essence of humanity that in our free will, we have this slice of divinity, this rationality in us. We can even choose things that are larger than our incentive structure so that we may give life into our world, even if it means walking through death ourselves. Like a man does that when he provides for his wife and his children, right? But we as a society are trying to ignore that and think that that's not real. That we can be exploitative and make everything be about us sucking as much into ourselves as if we're gods desiring all the worship of existence and think that that's not going to collapse underneath the weight of our egos, you know? And it does. It always does. It, this is where it's happening. It's happening in the money. It's happening in the soil fertility. It's happening in the medical system with like diabetes and cancer. I mean, it's just, it's our arrogance finally coming to the surface where we're collapsing. Yeah. And in our culture too, right? Like you have this like hedonistic culture. It's like go out, party every weekend, have fun with your friends. Like that, that should be your goal. Go club and do all that shit. You have a bunch what of people man- making- you have a bunch of people waking up in their mid thirties. Like what the fuck have I been doing with my life? And they had this mass depression and it's turn to opioids and shit like that. That's why I see suicides going up. It's like, nobody's actually really living for anything. Like it's, it's like, what was the one song? Like the pitbull. Like I, I can't like, I got my paycheck. I don't have any money in my bank account, but I'm going clubbing tonight. Like the, the literally like incentivizing high time preference. Like that was like, it. And like the, the hit, just the hit songs. I haven't listened to the radio in a while. Um, because my uh 2002 Jeep Liberty that I was driving for a while finally died, and we can only listen to radio there. And so when I was living in New York, I'd just be like 97.1 and flip that on every once in a while to see what like the top hits are. It's like you don't have any money, go club and still you gotta have fun. Like work sucks. Uh, Percocets, Percocets, like twerk, wet ass pussy. It's like when are we, when are we pushing out there? Like, this is, this is not uh, a society striving for good things. If, if the music is a representation of the culture at large. Yep. Versus a healthy society. The driving force is what man is a man who does not make his world a better place, you know? And we're just, the Bitcoiners are there. We're starting families or low time preference. We're dreaming of citadels and building. We're trying to create this place of inheritance where, we can bestow resources that really matter for creating deeper value. That's not just about USD burn rate, but like the rest of the world, man. I mean, it's like, let's just, let's run this thing up to the pinnacle of arrogance. We can fall off the top as far as we can. Right. And it's funny. Then people turn to Bitcoiners and they call us selfish because they think we're like in this get, get rich quick scheme. It's like, no, we're we're like, we're like screaming at him, like, don't go up the stairs any higher. It's getting narrow and there's no railing. You're going to freaking fall. And like the fact we're trying to like shorten the tower, they're angry at us as if the fall's our fault. It's like, oh my God, guys, what That's... more can we do when you go splat when gravity kicks in? Yeah, it's, but it's like a projection thing. It's like, we're literally like, hey, we need to fix the money. The world's fucking borked because we broke the money. They just look, look around. And people just see like the price going up and Bitcoin are cheering that on, not understanding the number go up technology. I mean, that's Bitcoin's succeeding and uh, therefore, and hopefully the future will be better off because Bitcoin is succeeding. And they're just like, oh, you arrogant, rich pricks using all the energy. Uh, you just care about getting rich. It's like, ah, get to know us a little bit. Just turn off wet ass pussy and turn on a podcast about Bitcoin. Yep. So, so back to like the project, right? 
so the three principle you got food energy money i mean that's the self-sovereignty stack we all need so when i stepped back and looked at all this it's like okay the bitcoiners we've got the bitcoin the network's ossifying money's taken care of okay energy you got a lot of you guys already working on this very effectively and I'm like, okay, food, this is my thing. Like I've been dreaming about regenerative agriculture. Like this is, this is my world where I contribute. So what these cows do to relate to what we're talking about, about that like almost like Eden-like agriculture system we were just saying with like, it's just completely pestilence proof is they are the original tool for restoring land to be capable of being met. So when you have either scrubland or this fiat farmed land that's just industrially been raped, what you have to do is you have to get the biology back on the soil again, because that biology is what gets that life going of that generations of like biology turning over. And even some of those, you got the fungus and the bacteria, and even some of them will even eat some of the petroleum products, which will free up the mineral structure of the soil again. So, um, so like a lot of like people who are working on that in the more normal world, they'll come out, they'll put all these inoculants on the soil, they'll do these cover crops, they'll like, they'll spray the soil with molasses to feed the bacteria and fungus they put on it. Like, and this is huge complex process. And now the soil has been restored and rejuvenated by the bacterial and fungus layer. And now they go out and plant crops and spray it again. It's, it's absurd. It's freaking absurd. Temporary but so, solutions. Yeah, so like that's not feasible at scale, not not really, because you're still relying upon all these just mechanistic tools. Cattle are amazing. I mean, they have this ruminant digestive tract that's essentially like a composter of sorts, where all the biology in their digestive tract is what's extracting these fatty acids and nutrition for their body to make incredible meat for us. But out the end of them, just spit manure, right? And they're these little like nuggets of pre-inoculant for compost and soil rebuilding. So it's got all this bacteria and biology. It's got like organic matter in it. So it's this kind of pre-started mix for getting the soil turning over and going again. And it literally enables you to rebuild the organic layer of the soil as well as the biology of the soil. Rather than having to use this complex mechanistic system, the cattle do it for you. Okay. So does that make sense so far? I mean, I know you know yeah. a little bit about grazing. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, uh, it's like one of my, again, like I said before we hit record, it's like one of like the common sense, no-brainer things that nobody talks about is using grazing cattle to, to regenerate. I mean, the, if you, I know TED Talks are, are somewhat like uh faded now like uh, ted talks are all bullshit but the one i think it was in 2012 of i forget that the guy's name but he he, he basically brought the idea of grazing cattle to my mind and bitstein shared this a bunch too i think it's Wait, alan alan savory yeah 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 and phenomenal it's, talk yeah and the how can you deny the results it's insane what happens mm-hmm. i mean they're what built the breadbasket of the world in our great plains right you had these bison, they're bunched together by the predator pressure in nature, so they have to stay in a mob for safety. They graze intensively and non-selectively, and then all the food's gone, so they migrate with nature for the seasons for long periods of time to rest it. And it just so happens that pattern of ruminants matches 
perfectly the life and growing cycle of pasture species of like native grasslands prairies and prairies so you've got this root pruning cycle of after it gets clipped so now you're feeding the earthworms with all this pruned organic matter in the soil you got the manure is this pre-compost inoculant you've got the grass catching the recovery of all this like the accelerant curve of the sunshine because it's not growing tall and then shading itself out and choking the ground. Like you need grazing pressure for it to really thrive. You're using all that leaf matter to capture carbon from the air, harvesting sun energy, and you're putting that carbon into the soil. So you're building carbon layer in the topsoil itself. So you're not just sequestering carbon in the form of more plants, you're sequestering carbon in the form of actually living soil. And capture, right? Mm -hmm. Yep, and there's ways to maximize all that too. So cattle were the cornerstone in the process. So if we want to rebuild sovereignty for our citadels, we need good cattle as one of our cornerstones because that's where we can go out and get bad land, whether it's scrub land or fiat farm land to restore it. Okay, so problem number one, like all the land's been broken. Okay, now we kind of know what one of the tools is to fix it. Problem number two, all the cattle have been broken. Modern cattle can't survive in a grass only operation. What? Really? Yeah, really. Like they need all sorts of amendments, like grains inputs and all these other things. Your average modern cow, if you put them on grass diets, like, or won't breed back. I didn't know this. How did this yeah. happen? We overbred them, just like everything else. This reductionist philosophy of I'm going to select for these parameters that I think are ideal. And we have hidden things crop up, right? So we've bred for like, high rates of average daily gains while an animal is being fed industrial off-put products because we, we throw them in these feedlots, right? And this fiat incentive economy pushes you to be faster, 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 right? And be larger, larger, larger so you can have access to the debt window so you can borrow cheap interest rates and keep growing to stay ahead of the hurdle height. So what that did to our animal breeding is we've had to chase cheaper and cheaper inputs of larger and larger animals, which is a regulation issue too, because it centralized the whole butcher industry, um, which also helped kill the family farm. Different rabbit hole. But what that's done to our cattle is we've bred these animals that can survive in a system where we're feeding them things like bakery scraps that are no longer fit for human consumption, offput of like misshapen sprinkles or miscolored Skittles of just industrial waste products. And that's how they gain weight in a lot of these feedlots. I'm feeding that's, them candy? Yes. What? Yes. They're, they even did a study on like feeding cattle like bubblegum wrappers. Like, like this stuff is just normal. What the fuck? I had no idea it was this bad. I thought we were just feeding them all like corn and grain. Like, I didn't know. Well, and the corn and grain's terrible too, right? Like, um, like in our, in our country, we typically finish all of our wheat crops using glyphosate. So using Roundup, right? We'll grow the crop, we'll spray the whole thing like while it's still a little bit green. Reason being it kills it. When it kills it, the grain hardens off. So all of the wheat in our nation has Roundup residue on it, just period. Lovely. The, the reason we do that, yeah, like we talk a lot about like um, gluten intolerance, right? Like how much is that? It's just the fucking Roundup on the food. Okay, the reason we do that is the high time preference. When it hardens off that extra two weeks faster, they can often get a second crop on the same soil and grow a whole nother wheat, like, like a whole nother batch of wheat. Okay, so we're feeding the cows all this glyphosate. 
which once again is putting that into our food chains. We're pumping them full of antibiotics. They're so unhealthy. They have to be on them in order to like not die. Um, the antibiotics also help them gain weight more quickly. It makes them fat. So we have all these kind of things going on. So the cows aren't really cows anymore. They're not like these majestic wild animals running in herds across the plains that can just survive being cows. They've now become cogs in the machine. And if you take them out of the machine, they don't work anymore. They collapse. Fuck, man. Yeah. Is there, I mean, I think you're about to turn it to like a, here's a solution, but I hope there is one. I didn't realize it was, I didn't realize we were fucking feeding cow Skittles. Holy shit. And this is what I mean, man. Like everywhere in our world is a fucking tower of Babel. Every industry you turn to, you just have to talk to somebody who actually knows enough to see it, that they have their eyes open. It doesn't matter what part of our world you look at. It's broke. It's borked. It's just Dunsky. So like us Bitcoiners, we're going to have to rebuild everything. We're going to have to be wise about where we start, but we're going to have to fix everything in existence because it's all been broken. It's what Fiat's done. It's put us on this hamster wheel where we've destroyed things just to survive. <sighs> Well, luckily we've, we're identifying these problems and hopefully working towards solutions. We're working on the money solution. We're working on the, the inefficient uh, energy solution with mining. Now you've identified the, the cornerstone of, of good topsoil and uh, food chain, which is cattle and grazing cattle. And that's one thing. I mean, I know that you're working on a specific breed of cattle to, to bring your idea to fruition. How have you found these uh these cattle that are are not corrupted by the fiat system okay so tell the story a little bit the regenerative grazing movement has been going on for a couple decades now um guys have been working on solving these soil problems right okay these guys knew modern cattle were an issue what they did is they went out and got a selection of some of the best cows out there so they got like an angus a hereford a centipole barzona like this is one of the breeds they developed and it's called a South Pole. They selected for good mothering traits, fertility, like easy calving and the ability to just to survive on given conditions on grass. So they interbred them all. They picked the ones that had those best mothering and durability traits. They threw them into these grass operations and the ones that couldn't breed back and stay healthy and thrive, they just called out over and over and over. So it's this idea of you're removing the weakest rather than trying to arrogantly pick the best, which is a whole nother rabbit hole that I talked about so on the other podcast. Um, and they were really successful. They've developed some really good cows. And there's been a few other breeds that have come out of that as well with different people using different inputs of original cattle. And they're able to survive on forage. And it was really cool when they bred for good mothering and fertility. A lot of other traits changed too. It's like nature knows so like it moved back towards other things they weren't trying to choose but lots of other parameters improved because like like you think about some of the best animals in nature are actually island populations they're like a group of animals that gets trapped you think it'd be bad because you got a narrow gene pool but really it's just a lot of natural pressure of the environment selecting for who can stay fertile and breed back and who can survive so it's removing the lowest of the average over and over and over and over again. So actually your genetic pool in these island populations tends to get really good. just up, up, up in improvements. Um, so they did all that and they did a really good job. Okay. 
my worry is starting with modern cattle like that, even when you breed to the correct first principles, you have a narrow genetic base. They're good cows, they work for the systems, but what if you introduce some sort of volatility to the equation? Is that narrow genetic base adaptable enough for like the resilience we need with our situation the world's going into with the chaos and coming to the fourth turning, right? So that was my worry. What I did to solve that, I went and found the most ancient bloodlines I could of the oldest animal I could get my hands on. That way I'd get this really, really broad genetic base. So I went and got some piney woods. These cows are one of the two-ish original breeds brought over to North America during original settlement. They were shipped over at the settlers on the boats. They come from Spain. They're little woods and brush cows. The goal was they'd release them into the woods because in the new world, they don't know what the food supply is right, what the food supply is like. So like they didn't know if there'd be like any game for hunting or anything. So they wanted these cows that could breed and survive in these rugged conditions. And these cows are tough enough, you can just release them. And then even if the whole village dies, when the next ship of settlers arrive, the cows are still okay, right? So now these cows are in North America and they're a land race. What land race means is kind of like this island population. They're just out in the wilds and environmental pressure is selecting which ones make it. So now you got hundreds of years of adapting to North America. And that's what makes these cattle what they are. They're these ancient bloodlines that are really tough selected by nature. So I went and found a guy, he's out of Mississippi. He lives on an original homestead property. It's been in his family since original settlement. The barn I slept in when I visited the family was the original barn of his great, great grandparents from the 1800s. It was fucking beautiful. It was so cool. So on his farm, they had the same genetic lineage of animals from original settlement. They've got the same horses, cur dogs, like you see in the painting of like uh, Davy Crockett or whatever, that mm-hmm. one that you see sometimes, just those wild looking dogs. Um, sheep and cattle that are as original to our nation, like way back during the original homestead days before Mississippi was even settled. So these are cows that like were kept by a bunch of poor Southern farmers down there and like they did an interview in the 1950s when cattle was starting to become really modernized with some of these poor old white trash farmers, you know? And they're like, what are your guys' methods? Like, how do you feed your cows during the winter? They're like, feed them. Like, we don't feed our cows over the winter. It's like, what do you mean? Like, there's no grass. Like, yeah, we just open up the fence and put them out in the swamps. Like, your cows are in the swamps? Like, yeah, whichever one's come back, that's our next year's stock. <laughs> <laughs> they're like they survive that what do they eat i don't know leaves brush something they find something and come back the next year (laughs) and they just had done that for generations and they never adopted like the the antibiotic like mix in like corn and grain and skittles so they they even interviewed those farmers as late as the 1950s for a lot of these families and they're like, do you guys use any anti-parasites? Do you do any vaccines? They're like, no, man, we're too poor. We can't afford any of that stuff. The ones that don't survive aren't our cows anymore. So it just, that's how it works. Like one of the family lines is the Barnes line. There's an entire like little township of people that are all like known as cattle ranchers. None of them owned any land. The whole town was on a swamp. They just put salt blocks in their backyards. The cows ran wild in the swamps. When they needed one, they'd just go noose it whenever it was up eat, licking on their salt block. <laughs> How are they surviving at the swamps? 
because the swamps are like the toughest of toughest conditions, right? Yeah. Like you think about like like longhorns. You got like cypress knees. You got gators. You got all that stuff, right? Yep. So you think about like longhorns, which are from some of the similar original Spanish bloodlines. Like they're known for being down in Texas, being pretty healthy and rugged animals. These swamp cows are even tougher because in a swamp, not only do you have like this heat and humidity pressure and this bug pressure and this lack of food type pressure. You also have a huge parasite pressure because you have all this muddy wet ground. So they just have this huge, huge resilience and healthiness to them. So you went down and picked up some of these. I went down and picked up some of those. Man, I could have been at that farm forever. Being at that <laughs> barn with these animals sleeping underneath of me and like hearing the horses in the field out man as the sun's coming up, man, like it was low time preference grounding. It was so beautiful. I never wanted to leave. But yes, yeah, so I got cows from that guy. These cows theoretically have a genetic base broad enough that most modern beef breeds could actually be bred back from them if you took enough generations. Sorry, say that one more time. Most modern beef breeds could be bred from them if you took enough generations because their gene base is so wide that almost everything is in there. Okay, so they, they're they like at the the base of the family tree and everything can... Exactly. They're the root of they've the root not, tree. They've not been heavily selected at all. They've just been kind of picked by nature for who was the toughest. Okay. Okay, so these animals are really cool, all right? You get lots of adaptability and throwbacks. Like the one of the guys that I bought these animals from, um, I got them from two main farms, but most was sourced from that Mississippi stock. He had one that got thrown out as a calf looking just like a longhorn he didn't have any longhorns in the line but you just get random cows that come out i've got one that looks african she's got these little black tip horns that she looks almost like a watutsi or something <laughs> you just get all this variety so point being that with this huge genetic base not only now are you sold for the right first principles like these modern guys that are bred like the south pole breeds and stuff but you have adaptability so if we do something crazy like bill gates tries to spray the sun like he's talking about doing you have major climate change chaos of like volatile temperatures whatever happens to the climate theoretically having this broad genetic base is a lot more resilient because even if all your cows don't make it you'll have some that do and you have enough variety of throwbacks and things that'll happen to be born that you'll always be able to select the gene pool that's thriving in your current conditions all right so thank God we have you to think about these, these things. And so like, how, how's this, like I, I'm sh the farming community, specifically the, the regenerative farming community is probably relatively small, smaller than the Bitcoin community, I would imagine. And like, so how is your approach at making the gene selection more robust received by, by your fellow farmers? So this is where it's tough, right? Because we're still in fiat world having to deal with fiat incentives, even when you have people that believe in the right things. So like these cows that I'm breeding, the meat's incredible. I mean, it's on the slow food circle of tastes. It's really tender and flavorful. Um, as far as like a commodity producer, they're very feed efficient. I can feed them on really low quality scrubland and they still do really well. And the meat's still really good. So like if the price of the market go really low, I can survive even when other farmers go out of business because they can't handle the margins. I can beat them on quality because the meat's just better. 
So even at a high end, like farm to table, like restaurant or something, I'm doing better. The downside is these cows take about 30 months to finish out to be ready for butchering versus like a modern Angus finishes in like 18 to 24 months. Mm-hmm. So it's a speed thing, right? If you have a low time preference and you can sustain it, my efficiency is better. My production per acre is better. Like the quality and everything's better. My margins are better. But you have to be able to live in a low time preference economy, which most people can't. It's crazy to they think. Don't have to... It's crazy Go to think it. six six months of additional waiting is too much for some people. Well, and that's if you look at everything we talked about on this with Dallas some, right? Like, like animal selection genetics. We used to have animals selected in land race over hundreds of years by nature pressure. Okay, then you got animals selected by generations of families keeping herd books. And then you got animals selected by a couple of years of breeding by a farm. And then you got animals selected by their doing genetic testing of an animal when it's like a year and a half old. Now we do genetics testing of an animal when it's 60 to 90 days old and pick how it's going to breed. Each of the step of this way is getting less and less exposure to its actual living environment. So you just are taking more and more risk of assuming you know things that you may or may not actually know. It has less exposure to reality. And that's what fiat does. It creates this high-speed churn where you have to go faster and faster and faster until you just can't survive anymore. The economy on the bike. You can't survive. You can't stop. You can't take a breather. You can't look around, be be reflective. Just got to keep going. Yep. So this world understands a lot of these problems and the regenerative agriculture world, it's, it's kind of becoming a big deal. A lot of people returning to it. It's, there's some incredible things happening in it, but it's brutal because they have to straddle those worlds and they don't necessarily, a lot of those people, they're like, they're into homesteading and self-sovereignty, but they don't understand the macro landscape of us trying to escape slavery with this hurdle height. So there's not necessarily an awareness of how do we fix that underlying problem to better sustain these places as businesses. So it's the same thing that kind of choked out the American farm to start with, right? The family farm. And they're trying to overcome it with willpower and effort and creativity of efficient technology of this low input production. But it's just, it's brutal. It's not easy for them. There's a lot of them doing it successfully, but if you can solve the economic dilemma of the marketplace, it enables a restoration of self-sovereign farming of like family farms in a way that's just massive. Because now it's not just these people who can do it at this 99% efficiency because they're genius at it. It becomes the people that you have the skill to do it at 80% efficiency. You can actually get in there and do it too. And everybody can start becoming more self-sovereign. You don't have to be this hyper-intellectual who's mastered it all to get your margins good enough. So I guess this is a good segue into your your product and how you're trying to solve this particular problem. Like what what are you exactly structuring and how is it going to fix the problem you just described? Yep. So I'm building a matchmaking organization where I bring together low time preference investors and homestead ranchers who desire to invest in these type of regenerative agriculture projects. So what we're doing is we're building this whole thing in a non-cash flow style where all the accounting of the investment structure and the return on value in the labor, the unit of account, of account is animal wealth and land fertility wealth or land itself. 
so that it completely cuts the US dollar out of the equation as far as how we do the computations for profit motives here. And it aligns the incentives in the market where everybody's desiring this in a way where they can actually access it. Because now we can communicate directly with good information in the marketplace with this system and circumvent the bad signal in the US dollar. Okay. So let's break this down. Cattle wealth, land wealth, what are they? How is how do they increase or decrease throughout the the lifespan of of a of a project, if you will? Okay, so let's just talk about the concept first. When I say animal wealth, I don't just mean how many animals do you own. This is a really big deal. Animal wealth is the totality of all the ancestral memory and the genetics of that animal, of all the proof of work that's been done to make that animal what it is. It's all the wisdom applied over generations of grandparents who picked what they bred. It's all the environmental pressure of like droughts and climate crisis and stress and food shortages and everything that's happened to that animal is baked into who that animal is, right? So like, say you got a, a herd of a hundred animals that are modern cows and like you have an environmental situation where they can't survive it, right? Versus you got a herd of these cows that you got 10 or 20 of them and no matter what happens, they survive. Which one really is more animal wealth, right? It's like, it's so much more than just quantity. It's like this, like it's like, like Saba, like deep value, right? Like the deep security. Yeah, durability, robustness of the herd. Mm -hmm. Quality of the meat, like everything. So to me, that is all a very huge factor in animal wealth. This genetic optimability of just these animals are able to survive with all that ancestral memory you've bred into them. Okay, land wealth. Land wealth is not just acreage. It's productive capacity of that land. It's what energy can this land produce for me? So like it's like like uh, like you're doing your business model for a strand of gas well, right? Like how much gas comes out of this hole? It's like, what's the productive value? Land should be measured that way rather than just acreage. It's fiat world where we measure it in acreage. So fertility of the soil also is a form of proof of work. It's all the effort that's gone into growing that soil of all the management skills and lifetime of these animals that have been bestowed onto the topsoil like the Great Plains of the bison, right? To build this productivity capacity. So when I say animal wealth and land wealth, I mean something much, much deeper than just acreage and quantity of head. And how, how do you quantify those, I guess, is, a, is the question I have in my mind right now. Yeah, and that's the tough part, right? Like in our marketplace, the signal to noise ratio with the US dollar being our money as our communication tool you can't understand what the market's saying. It's just kind of broken. We all know that it's true in so many fields. One of the things I've been thinking about ever since your talk with Paul from Sphinx Chat is this idea when you have cleaner signal in the market of these like sat streaming peer to peer. Like imagine you had farms where you had this open marketplace where consumers are streaming sats to these different ranchers. And all these ranchers can see very clearly with the way the, the market's functioning that one farmer is selling his meat for a higher value than the others. And all the people, when they stream the sats, you can easily in the marketplace tag to that information because it's programmable money, right? 
I'm paying this, this, and this because I value tagged with these parameters, A, B, and C. So you put this pressure on the marketplace and the marketplace itself is valuing these things and that controls behavior of the producer. You have so much better communication peer to peer between producer and consumer. Like our modern way, we try to solve these problems. We just throw money at them. Let's, let, let's go start a nonprofit, donate money, and then hopefully they can go out, rah, rah, like Alan Farrington with the move the ship petition, right? Like we'll go <laughs> rah, rah and fix the problem. It, and it doesn't really ever go anywhere because the real issue is the broken communication in the marketplace. That signal is supposed to be tied to the trade itself. So we currently live in a broken economy. We don't have good signal between the producer and the consumer. I'm attempting to rebuild that marketplace. So like eventually what I want to do, we can get into the details of this later, but like I'm building these cattle herd share programs where when you have this share of ownership in the herd, you have access to the future productivity of the animals you own because you're a herd share owner. And then imagine if you could swap those things with buddies like all across the country so you can be diversified in the farms where you own cattle, right? The marketplace would inherently use the consumer preference of the kind of things they want prioritized to price out those contracts. Because we as individuals don't have the capacity to handle the complexity of that pricing mechanism, kind of Austrian versus Keynesian economics, right? So what, like what, what we did at the game, me and my first investor, we wrote this all up. We did like a future value calculation or a present value calculation of all the future cash flows. We put in all the risk factors we could think of and in the spreadsheet, played with the numbers up and down. And then we stepped back and stared at each other of like, brother, I'm trying to do right by you, but I can see this number being 30 to 40% different either direction. Like, I don't know how to price this. Because <laughs> it's, like, it's like a distributed marketplace thing, right? You need the risk takers of all these distributed decision makers to be betting on it to settle on a price equilibrium. Right. And until, and until we build these new marketplaces, it's kind of just a thing where we have to just do it with integrity and trust and trying to do right by each other. Because it just, until we have all these parties making bets, even an honest person is not going to know how to price it. It's just too much information. Yeah, you need a liquid order book to build, build out, right? Exactly. So we're trying to solve that, but you're booting from zero. I mean, so we're doing this peer-to-peer marketplace where you're originating these herd share contracts. And we're doing a lot of information as a part of that process, really clear upfront risk communication, the problems we're trying to solve for, so on and so forth compared to the cash flows and the risk profile of a normal herd operation, right? And we're just taking a crack at it and sticking a fork in it saying, okay, here's what kind of looks good. Eventually this will evolve into its own marketplace where the market will price it. I'm humble enough to say that like, I'm doing right by the investors and the ranchers in every way I know how, but I am not good enough to make this perfect. We're going to figure that out as we go together. Yeah. I mean, you need, you need feedbacks, right? You need pricing signal feedbacks. You need customer feedback you need early investors to mm-hmm. to interact with the product and then go recommend it to others to then add to the liquidity of that that order book that you're describing and i mean it makes sense like similar to bitcoin it's a high asymmetric bet right like and so there's obviously going to be more risk in the beginning you're probably going to get more risk takers it's a risk i'd be willing to take like hey invest in this this co-op and 
and uh, you'd get good good meat and the ability to call on good meat in the future and uh, as a return too, the regenerative nature of the way in which these cattle are raised is going to uh, create a feedback loop in the soil and the ecosystem that helps us regenerate the land that we've broken and so it's like a risk certainly but the reward is extremely high if, if it works out right you fix the land yeah so the thing that's blown my mind is like i've talked to a few family investment offices that have called me <laughs> early with this project kind of getting a lot of visibility and i was trying to be really honest with them because i mean building a project like this we're we're trying to solve for societal chaos so like imagine you have like real soil fertility collapse us dollar collapse like those are all the things we're trying to hedge for here and if you have that i mean you kind of got to bake into it we're probably going to have legal system and structures collapse too so you want this deep alignment where the incentives are what create the system that works where you got what your trusting parties for up front where you need to do your deal where you need to do your due diligence up front and that way you know that like we all have skin in the game in a synchronous manner. So even without legal systems, it makes sense for us to keep working together, right? So knowing all that with those investment groups, I've known that and trust and trust bridging here of this initial networking is hugely, hugely, hugely important. Because if we don't have deep trust and alignment, none of this risk is actually mitigated. We're trying to do this peer-to-peer -peer marketplace where we just front load all the risk with honest communication of which assess each other and say, can I trust my counterparty? It's just because that's the market, right? Like you have to just build trust with each other. And in doing that, I've communicated so clearly with some of these guys, like here's the risk, here's the legal risk. If they try to do this, like they're doing in Colorado with making ranching subtly illegal because of the animal activist laws they're trying to pass or like, do you know about any of that? No, it sounds that's, fucking terrible though. It's a whole different rabbit hole. We could talk about it later if you want. Um, so I've talked to them about the legal risks. I've talked to them about like the weather risks, like that cold snap in Texas and the plans for diversifying for that. I've talked about the business cash flow risks. Like I put it all up front with them. And typically these guys are kind of just cutting me off. They're like, okay, but wait, wait, wait. You're saying in this fiat economy with the broken pricing mechanism of the sale barns and auction markets and cattle markets, which are screwed too. Um, like there's just all weird sorts of stuff like black cows in most markets sell for a 10% premium. You get docked for horns, certain breed name cows for irrelevant reasons sell for higher margins. It's just all bad signal in the market. But anyway, so those guys are like, but in these broken markets, you guys have real returns consistently and you have resilience because of your high margins where you're going to stay that way pretty much no matter what. I'm like, yes, yes, that's true. And he said, okay. And if we have chaos, most other people probably aren't going to even survive it. And you have the keys to rebuild it out everywhere. I'm like, yep, that's true. He goes, why are you trying to fucking talk me out of this? Like, I want in the door. This is what I want. So what's been shocking to me is a lot of these big money guys, their valuation of this is a lot more favorable than I expected because they're looking at this whole thing with systemic fragility. It's like, where do I store my capital? Like the, I've got Bitcoin. Some of these guys are into precious metals. Like some of them are into real estate, but it's a similar problem. A lot of these people are into real estate and like even trying to have agricultural properties. They're like still doing modern farming, which is prone to massive systemic risks. And so they're just like, dude, I got nowhere to put my money. Like, let me in the fucking door. <laughs> <laughs>
So like I was expecting the farmer and the ranchers are going to have to give up a good bit of margin on the animals here, but like they're not asking for a lot because they're looking for that deep resilience and they just get it, man. I'm shocked by how the market's pricing these things so far. That's good to hear. What is, I mean, again, like I said, it's like, it's an asynchronous trade, right? Or not asynchronous, uh, asymmetric trade, right? Like if, if shit does hit the fan, in the in the farming industry and in, in the agricultural industry, I think you have the the tools to to help rebuild um, from scratch and most resilient. It's like yeah, it's like going back to my managed futures days. Like it's portfolio insurance for for a very highly unlikely event, but that small two percent three percent of your portfolio will will make up for the losses and then 97 percent uh around it so it makes a lot of sense just from a risk perspective well that you're securing food chain for your family too yeah. so if you have breakdown in the marketplace where there's just no food available you have your family being fed and i mean we're solving for a lot of the other stuff too like we're going to work on doing a hybrid cattle line that lets us keep breeding stock of these deep resilient herds and then cross in like a first principles, but more narrow stock as a terminal sire. That way you hit the marketplace fads for selling for a little bit higher profit margin because it'll take the horns off the F1, F2 generation. And you can control what name tag it has on and when they go to market to hit the fad names and stuff like that. Um, so like we have all sorts of ideas to make this more lucrative for the investment groups. Well, how is it? What I'm more interested in is like, how did this slowly but surely phase out the shitty farming and the, the shitty ranching and sort of take over as the norm? That's really yep. what I want to get at. Yeah. Let's let me answer first the structure, how these things actually work. <clears throat> so we're doing herd shares. This piggybacks on the legal precedence of like cow share agreements, like from the raw milk movement, where say raw milk's illegal in a certain state, but you own a cow and your farmer boards your cow, you pay a boarding fee, like sat streaming, like Paul was talking about, or just I send them regular payments. And then I get the output of that cow as the raw milk. So even in the legal marketplace, it's still like I can have the goods I want. So we're piggybacking on this legal precedents doing herd shares. Okay, the investor buys the cows. Okay, they sell at a present value of the future cash flows of all the future yield from that cow. That cow is not tied to any particular cow it's just a percent ownership in the herd each share represents one cow Hmm. so it's a perpetual because as like that cow finishes out its breeding age it's just going to get replaced by another one so it's just a percent ownership in in the herd itself so you buy in typical buy-in with the present value calculations we're looking at is somewhere between 20 to 40 percent above market value the animal and that initial present value includes the labor and all the upkeep necessary for the management of that animal to attain meat for your family in perpetuity forever. Okay. So most of these contracts are being written. So all accounting is done in animal wealth. So each generation that's born, the investor gets a certain percentage of the animals, the land steward, like the homestead rancher, gets a certain percentage of the animals. There's no accounting done as a business structure whatsoever. So we're not thinking cash flows anywhere, which is what makes this animal boarding loophole possible. So most of the contracts, they're all, they're all structured unique because we're originated on pair to pair, right? Or peer to peer. So 
each rancher looks at their margins. What's their number of growing days per year? Like, what can they do with this herd? What's their desired profit for their time? Um, and then the investors negotiating them. And you can break it down into two different stocks. You got meat stock of animals, which is animals born that you're going to castrate and butcher and or cull. And then you got breeding stock of animals. You can negotiate yield differently on each of them. Meat stock are typically yielding like zero to 10%, just depend upon how the contracts fall. Breeding stock are typically negotiating somewhere like zero to 5%. So you think about if you have contracts where you have a 5% yield on meat stock, every time that there's 10 meat stock animals born in the herd, you get half a cow that year for your family of meat in perpetuity there's no sort of carry cost for this investment. It's actually real yielding. So as the, okay. herd, as the herd grows, so does your, your ability to call on more meat? Is that correct? So, so you think about it. If you have breeding stock written into your contract as part of your returns, whenever an animal is added back into the herd to increase the breeding stock carry, you actually have convexity in your position because now you have more animals in your portfolio. So you have a larger percentage that are actually yielding meat when they're born to those animals too. Mm -hmm. So let's just, let's just run an iteration for clarity's sake. Say the investor buys all the animals. Okay. Say he gets a 5% yield on 20 cows. Okay. First generation that's born. Let's say, 10 of those cows are breeding stock, 10 of those cows are meat stock, okay? With a 5% on 10 meat stock animals, that means he gets half a cow share for his family on owning 20 cows, mm -hmm. okay? Say he has a 1% return on breeding stock and there's 10 breeding stock animals, okay? Now he gets like, what's uh, a 10th? Yeah, a 10th. So next generation, he owns 20.1 cows. So now next time you run that equation, he's got a better yield. Mm -hmm. Compounding so, cattle interest. So not only, not only are you getting distributions of real yield in meat. And so we do all the accounting in animals. So you now own this meat stock. You can either collect it as meat for your family. You can either like listed for sale somewhere like sell it yourself or list it with the farm sale and get cash flows out of it or you can even take physical delivery of it and bring it out to one of your friends or your family's farms feed it out or like hell if you own some breeding stock you can do that with your breeding stock too and start your own herd we've got everything set up as just physically collectible it's all physical delivery hell yeah and so are you incentivized to grow the herd as much as possible and like if so like like exactly after, after it gets to a certain point you, you just go buy more land or so our goal is to go after low-cost leases and i'm sure a lot of people heard that on the other podcast um there's mutual incentives for land management like this like greg judy does it with hunting properties where he runs cattle on these wealthy people who have this hunting land out in the midwest he improves the land so it actually improves the ecosystem and all the wildlife so now they have more bird like variety. They got better deer, larger racks, larger animals. Like it's just a whole sort of better. And they don't have to do anything to manage their properties. He's taking care of all the maintenance. 
So they're giving him lifetime leases for nothing. Like my lease here in Suffolk is a buck a year for all my acreage. <laughs> some more, yeah, some more mutual beneficial situation where I'm decreasing her workload. I'm getting her a better tax deduction on her land for ranking as agriculture, which is so about 10 grand less a year. Yeah. Yep. And at the same time, I'm improving her value of her property because I'm building topsoil and making the place more beautiful. So with that, if you assume that you can always find more land with situations like that, then your convexity of the underlying position is near infinite because right. you're just going to go keep buying up more marginal land. And the land we're trying to acquire is the land that's cheap because it's the land that's not the good stuff. It's the stuff Bill Gates ain't trying to buy up because we know how to fix it. We'll go fix it using these cows. So that's crazy. So, so it's like so low, low reinvestment costs to expand. Exactly. And we're all incentivized to go grow the herd as much as we can because our skin in the game is the herd numbers. So we'll all work together to find as many opportunities as we can. Hell yeah. And so any, so there's like the rancher side and then the investment side, like how, how many other ranchers would you, would you partner up with infinite? Yeah. Or? Okay. So the rancher gets his money off of his labor. Once again, accounted for in cattle, he gets whatever's left over the percentage that the investor didn't get in their contract. So somewhere between like five to 95% of the meat stock and 95 to hundred percent of the breeding stock. So then he's selling those on the market and, or like keeping them for himself. That's his salary, right? Okay. Doing regenerative agriculture, kind of Greg Judy style, low input grazing like this, the labor is really interesting. So pretty much it's the same amount of work, whether you have 20 cows or you have 200 cows for your average management day-to-day tasks. I mean, your average task, we're mimicking nature with the way the bison's migrated, right? So we're keeping them bunched, like intensive non-selective grazing, moving them in less than four days to get them off. So you hit the grass recovery cycle, then putting them somewhere else bunched up again, letting that recover for a long period of time and then bring them back, right? So rather than predators doing it, we simulate that using electric fencing and step-in posts. So we'll just like every two to three days go out with his little posts, got a little steel spike on the bottom, step them into the ground every 10, 15, 20 feet. You got a wire of electric poly that you string across to hold them in. And then uh, you just go, when the grass is done, like clip it open, the cows are trained, they walk to the next section, you clip it behind them so they can't get back to regraze the section behind them. You roll up the fence and you set up the section for the next time in front of them. Takes 45 minutes or so, like two to three times a week. That's your normal management tasks. I mean, you'll have some bulk tasks like castrating or sorting the load on the trailers and things like that, right? Birthing. But um, no, we don't do anything with the birthing. No? I I mean, they're wild animals. That's what go with the old genetics. You want animals to do it on their own. If they don't birth on their own, we don't want them in the herd. Holy if they shit. can't have calves with no headaches, then like, I don't want them. Get out of my herd. I don't want the headache. Because like, like a lot of people think about like, man, the ranching's hard work. Like, it's really risky. Like, nah, it's just the wrong principles, dude. Like, these are buffalo. They're bison. These are wild cows. Like, they can survive in nature. You've taken away the predators. They're eating them. Like, that's their main risk. Why can't they survive without predators, right? Well, because we fucked them up. That's why. Like, if you go back to good animals, like, they have the easiest life in the world and they can just do what they do best if we let them free to do it based upon us doing the right first principles type systems. Okay. Hell yeah. I'm just get 
I'm just getting out of their way. I don't want to micromanage. I don't want headaches. I want the animals to be free to be animals and their wild self that they are just stewarded in a way that's in alignment with like the holistic system of the grassland species and the cattle as cattle are intended to be. How did we get so far away? Like this like seems like such common sense. I mean, we already discussed it earlier. Like it's just applying these, treating these systems as input output systems that can be manipulated yep from a very hubristic point of view yeah it is like uh, like a bit of humility just to take a step back and be like hey i don't need to do this much maybe we shouldn't be doing this much if we do keep doing this much we're going to destroy our ecosystem which is not not good and so i mean thank you for doing this I mean, somebody's You're welcome, man. It, right? Like, I definitely want to buy shares. I don't know if you saw, and in that Paul episode, I said I, our family bought a cattle, um, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's uh, it's not it's not on a regenerative farm. Um, it is uh, it's a bit more. It is definitely not eating only grass. I don't think. And the cool thing with these too, right, is it's a store of value where you don't have to have any carry costs. It's just a real yield in perpetuity because you're, you're choosing to send signal in the marketplace through your purchase as a consumer in a way that signals this production and this method that you want to see happening, yeah. that enables this market to evolve where you can have real yield just while you're holding your value in cattle. Right. And I guess that's another thing that's probably enabled now due to the internet and the communications technology. Like you get a better connection. Like that's one of the biggest knocks on factory farming and just the food supply and the food system in modern society is we're so disconnected from the source and like yep. this this model allows like a farmer to take a picture and say hey look at your cattle look at it growing look at what we're doing look at how it's being treated and imagine if you had to do that for, <laughs> for like a factory farmer and they were like yeah here's a here's your angus that you're gonna eat like here's here's what's yep. happening to it um very different it brings back that connection which i think people are are starting to realize is important i mean it's so fucked how fat we are we've got to wait like mm-hmm. we've had no connection with it and it's just very gluttonous we've gotten really, yeah jesus would not be happy <laughs> yeah i mean it goes back to that phase three of human advancement right distributed consensus tech I mean, even from a spirituality type perspective, it enables a deeper connection to the earth in our food supply of the being of the animal and its information coding of its life integrated all the way to our plate of what we cook and consume as a family with deeper humility and appreciation for its life, you know, because you're closer to it. Yeah. No, I see like in our family, like it's my parents and I went half and half on this cow. We just, we have a family group chat. I mean, we talk about things other than the cow but it's funny like in updates and we get to talk about it and uh, Mm -hmm. pictures and it's just that one simple check-in from the farmer leads to a check-in for our of our family like hey look uh you say get a picture of the cow and then you just start talking about other stuff not that i don't talk to my family or wouldn't if the cow pictures wouldn't come but like it's just an example of (laughs) bonding around um something we know we're going to eat in the future Yep. Okay. So back to the question. So the output of the rancher's time scales 
just perfectly because his inputs are fixed of labor, sort of, mostly with his average management tasks minus the big bulk tasks. So the more animals he has, the higher his yield on his work is without having to really do much else. So like, once again, economics, right? Basic theory, we all do what we do best and in sharing it together, we get more output for it because the pie gets bigger. So by us bringing in investment money, the rancher's doing the same thing he'd be doing anyway, but he gets more animals born into his herd for him as his own wealth. And you get animals for you to feed your family and everybody gets more that's produced from essentially nothing because you've enabled it to just piggyback on labor he was already doing. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. It's <laughs> why isn't this become a thing? Like, why is it taking this long? Because we account for things in U.S. dollars, and there's bad signal in the market. Right. So, so like, we... like for this, part of what enables it is like the low time preference of the investor and the rancher. So this rancher, or like the like, let's start with the investor. The investor is not looking for immediate distributions of cash flows on a month-to-month basis he's okay saying like i'm going to wait a generation or two there's gonna be an animal born then an animal matures and then two years out that animal get added to my herd you know and like he's okay with that he's okay with putting his money here holding it storing his wealth and cattle and then having a yield two years out when an animal matures that's something that our world most people aren't comfortable with that low time preference so even though the investment structure is freaking incredible i mean it's a hard asset, it's inflation secured, and it's real yielding with actual volatility to the upside in chaos situations. Like, <laughs> but like, we just aren't patient, right? Well, so exactly. In- like if you're w- willing to wait the three years, two and a half, three years, however it takes, does that start like just like a constant cycle? Like once you hit that point, once you wait for the first cattle to be raised, to slaughter and then just sort of cycles in like you don't have to wait another three years you, you wait like a year because you're the herd is growing every year yep. um and you just sort of have a cascading cycle of ages of cattle that, yep. that lead to like a, a constant stream of of beef at some point in the future yep i mean you could start it up where it's already a steady state running like that i didn't do it because i put all the upfront capital into buying females so I didn't have any males coming up to age to be finished out to be butchered because I wanted to maximize my capital returns by having even lower time preference. Oh, yeah. So what advantage does that afford you starting out with all females off the bat? Just Because every one of them is going to yield another cow okay. versus I'm finishing out one for meat. So rather okay. than having meat in the pipeline, I cut the meat out of the pipeline with all my capital inputs and said, I just want more future cattle. Mm-hmm. The meat will come later. Exactly. So then the enable component with the rancher, he's doing a part-time job. Average management task is five to six hours a week. Okay. He's getting his yield and animal wealth. So most of these positions at the beginning, at least for sure, are going to be part-time positions where he cash flows his life with remote work or something. But if you really think about it, if you scale this out to 100 animals, 200 animals, say each of these animals yields 800 bucks, 1,000 bucks, make the math easy. It's probably closer to 800, but just say it's 1,000 bucks. 1,000 bucks per cow because they have a calf every single year. If you got a 200 head in the herd, that herd's yielding $200,000 a year. So if you compute that back to real like yields, 
if that guy's getting as the rancher 90% of the animal wealth, that's what $180,000 a year of animal wealth that's accruing to him with his labor. I mean, some of that is going to go back to the operations. I mean, not much. We're talking low input grazing. Like even if like a storm messes up your fence and you got to repair something, it's all stupid cheap. I mean, I fenced my acreage. I did 20 acres for like two grand of fencing. When you know what you're doing, it's easy, man. Um, <laughs> and how's that compared so, to like a typical rancher salary now? It blows it out of the water. Really? Absolutely. I mean, most ranches these days are barely break even because they're still on that treadmill. But it's this whole thing of like, you need that churn and burn. So people aren't willing or able to put in their labor with this long time preference of saying, I just got a dollar cost average of labor into animal wealth because they need it. They need it. They need it. I need to feed my family tomorrow. I need to pay off credit debt tomorrow. Like they don't have five, six hours to put into a, just an average over time to accrue that kind of margins of animals. So even though once again, like the investor, the returns are there and the returns are glorious. It's a time preference thing. And this is what Bitcoin enables, right? It's like, fuck you money. Like, you have the ability to tell somebody, no, like, I'm not going to stay on your treadmill because I don't have to anymore. So we can have these roles where we have a little bit of savings. We have like, like a part-time remote work and we know we still have security because our bucket's not draining of our savings. Right. And then we can have this lower time preference and wait for it to come to us. Fuck. Is fixing the money really fix everything? <laughs> We're going to fix food I, with money. I, I told it to one of my friends is a, she was asking me all about like trying to explain like, why does money actually matter so much? Like for, we were talking about labor laws, right. And like uh, labor ex exploitation by like mega corporations that have cornered the market. And I, I described it like this. Like I said, imagine you have two laborers, you have a bucket that are full of water. One of the laborers has a hole in the bucket. The other's bucket has a hose into the bucket, filling it up continuously you're going to negotiate to the guy who has like the spigot or the well that you're pulling the water from. Which one of those parties has more negotiation power to say, fuck you, I'm waiting for a better opportunity. And that's what, it, right. and the guy whose bucket's filling up, not draining, you just don't have to stay on the treadmill. It's just so simple. Yeah. So, and that's, and that's what happens, right? Is like our ranchers out there in the world today, they have buckets that are leaking because they're not doing Bitcoin as a unit account of their balance sheet. So they have to stay in this high burn system because they have to keep that inflow of U.S. dollars filling up their bucket 24-7. We don't have to anymore. Are you leading a charge in the farming community to, to convince people to, to adopt Bitcoin? That'll be the goal, man. That'll <laughs> be the goal. Because now it's like, if you got fuck you money, now we need fuck you supply chains of food for our family and fertile land that's resilient to climate crisis, drought, like all those sorts of things. And if we had physical security of that and supply and distribution chains between our like little citadels we're building, we're a distribution asynchronous nation state that nobody can stop now because nobody can tell us what to do because we have everything we need. Right. That energy, stranded gas wells and then the other stuff I'm doing with uh, like agriculture power production. With methane from the, from the cow manure? No, um, man, where do I want to start this rabbit hole? So there's, there's two ideas here. One's a, just a like a philosophy thing I want to jam with you on, but the actual power of the details. I'm working with Nunya on a biochar operation that we're currently trying to do some feasibility research on. We're early in the business model. I actually just had another guy reach out to me who is in like a 
scrap wood disposal business that's just beautifully synergistic. So I think we're going to get at least the first proof of concept off the ground with his company. Um, but what it is, is you take wood mass, you put it into the system and it pyrolyzes it. It burns the wood in the absence of oxygen. So it gets rid of all the volatiles from the wood and you're left with this thing called biochar. It's like an activated charcoal. It's just the carbons, all that's left, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, that biochar is a really valuable agricultural product. Like terra preta down in South America is a form of soil that just befuddled scientists for a long time. It's such a strong soil, you can strip mine it. And then when you come back, there's more topsoil there, even though there was none before, because there's such a strong biological activity to the soil, it just reforms itself over another decade to have more soil there again. When they looked into the history, what formed some of that really strong soil was the fact that these people groups were taking all their human waste, like their poop, and then burning their trash on top of it and then burying it. So they're essentially pyrolyzing all this carbon into a charcoal with all the compost and the manure. When you do that, it creates a symbiosis of all the biology is living in the pores of the charcoal. So it can hide out there for long periods of time and survive. It also acts as like a buffer for like fertility and nitrogen, but also water and things in the soil. So it introduces an incredible resilience for the soil and it's really good for soil, like the microbiology, the soil food web. So it's a high value agricultural product, right? Like a cubic foot of biochar sells on Amazon for like 25 to 30 bucks, okay? Mm -hmm. Okay, you can capture a range of those volatiles, kind of like you think about like, like, like oil refinery type mm -hmm. stuff where you're capturing them for different type uses. One of the spectrum is called syngas and it's very much like natural gas. You can actually just plug it straight up to a generator if you adjust the compression ratios and run a motor off of it. Holy shit. Yeah, and you can compress it down and run tractors and trucks and anything you wanted to for a completely off the grid, not connected to the supply chain, like fuel production for all your machinery and equipment. And all it takes is shit and scraps? Um, and low well, time preference? This, this shit and scraps is how you build the soil with the biochar. All you're putting into it is just carbon mass, so wood. Mm -hmm. um, the business model was you're going after waste wood streams. So like you got a city where you got the dump where they come in and like all the people, when you got a storm, they're putting all their sticks and fallen trees and stuff in the city. The city's just trying to get rid of that shit. I mean, they'll either give it to you for free or even pay you to dispose of it, mm -hmm. which is what this other guy has a business doing. So your inputs are either free debris disposal or they pay you to be the disposing agent. Your output is this high value agricultural product. And then on the side, you get power of syngas. It's fucking beautiful. Right. The hard, how do you go for it? So like burning the wood, like how, I, I mean, what's that process? Like do you need certain pressure factors. Like, does it need to be in a certain environment? Obviously. Like, yeah. You have the whole retort system you use. There's guys who manufacture these things. This is part of what Nanya is doing with all his feasibility research. So we're looking at like, um, like repairability and things too. Cause like, if these are specialized parts, like what if the, what if production collapses? Um, luckily the guys we're working with have built a whole system that can be repaired with off the shelf common parts. It's super awesome. Um, but the problem is scale for doing these burns with like the size of the fireboxes and stuff. It really needs to be pretty large to work. The inputs are like three to three and a half tons of material per day. 
So you've got to think like running a homestead community, not just a single house, right? Yeah. That and you're shipping in like waste products from like we're clearing land to start running cattle on. Like we just clear cut like just all the junk stuff and chip trees and we're feeding it in, right? Or like these guys who have disposal contracts and stuff like that. But the amount of power it pumps off for that is huge. It's 165 kilowatts of continuous power. It's pretty significant. Yeah, it's right. not you bad. Can run, you can run a... It'd be like a... You could probably run like 30, 20 to 30 miners. Like M20Ss mm -hmm. and 30s. Off that amount of power. It's nothing to scoff it's at. And theoretically, I mean, if you got a homestead community where this place is located that you're shipping some wood, like just chip, like chip trucks to, like you can compress that down, use it to run your vehicles, use it to run your community. And then just when you have your like inventory of sim gas is too high, you run a smaller number of Bitcoin miners with it. So it's not like it's not storable energy either. It huh. doesn't have to be immediately used. No. Yeah, it's like coal, right? You just mm -hmm. ship. This is full so circle. What, so what I'm trying to build here is the cornerstone incentives for Citadel networks. Because if we can get this off the ground where we're using these cattle and land restoration projects to draw in investment capital, now we can get Bitcoiners and families on the land building these places that'll be operating nodes for us to begin building networks of self-reliance all across the country. And then we scale from food chain security to energy security. And then we eventually, the next step is going to be distribution and supply chain security of us shipping stuff to each other. And if we have that, we're an asynchronous nation state of Bitcoiners that nobody can stop. Right. Right under everybody's nose. Let's go. Exactly. Let's do it. Where do I send my sats? Just let me know. <laughs> <laughs> so so the, other, the other investment structure is the real estate side, right? So you got two investment groups. You got herd shares. Those are really easy to do with small investments. I mean, you could do a single cow or even a half cow share. So you're talking six to 700 bucks minimum size. It's not necessarily very high trust because once the contracts are originated, you know, somebody did the due diligence to check out the rancher and so on and so forth. Um, the real estate deals are more high trust because you need to know that you're comfortable between the landowners and the ranchers. And it's just a long-term relationship. So the way I see those working is a smaller number of parties because even the land trust groups, they need to trust each other too. So you want smaller number of people putting in larger sums of money. But this whole investment structure there makes sense too, right? Because you've got investment groups trying to buy up land as a part of their portfolio as a hard asset, right? Okay, problems there. I mean, you got your risk of theft, I mean, from the government or seizures. I mean, if we got Bitcoiners on them, that kind of can maybe solve that in a societal breakdown because we got high trust. And you got carry costs of taxation and stuff right now. Agriculture significantly helps that because you get way better tax rates. Okay, so now they've got those added benefits already right off the jump. Yeah. Okay. And, and they probably don't even want to manage the land themselves if they're big investment trusts and stuff like that, right? Exactly. A lot of them just let the land be stagnant. Yeah. But what they get with us, not only are we managing it, we're regenerating it. So their property value is increasing significantly over time. So when you pull up the investment sheets of our pitch deck, you're buying land, scrub land, but your comps for the real estate of what this land is going to sell at in 10, 20 years is comps of prime land. So the portfolio for allocating to this is so much more lucrative than a typical real estate investment. 
So the, the value add here with those guys is they're stoked to have us do this. They're not going to lease their land to us. This is how we create when we run out of cheap lease opportunities of just finding people already have land. This is how we create more of them. We just go sell these real estate decks. And then they give it to us for free for lifetime leases or 10, 20 year leases or whatever they want for their time horizon before they flip the investment. That is for us to use with near zero carry cost of us as a ranch because they got such a huge benefit of this mutual offer like synergy here. Whew. You're aligning incentives very well. This is uh, that's the goal, buddy. This is crazy. This needs to happen. So, so happening. my, my, it is happening. My, like I'm already up and running. I mean, this is how I funded my farm and I just had so many investors and ranchers calling me of like, Hey, sell me more cow shares. I went in on this gig. And I had other ranchers like, hey, help me get going. I like how you did this. I'm like, dude, I need to like, you need to meet him and you need to meet him. Like, maybe I should build something. <laughs> <laughs> it, was just, it was so organic how it birthed. But like my dream here would be we have lots of really long time preference land investors who what we actually do rather than just flipping these as real estate investments after 10, 20 years is we build little micro homestead communities for families, like families and friend groups where like you have a land steward already there, he's regenerated the land, you get animals and everything running. And so you bring in these people and you have it all set up already. It's turnkey homestead. You've got a little community greenhouse. You've got raised garden beds and stuff in the background. You've got an expert there who's been managing the animal and stuff already. He'll walk you through how to take care of your vegetables for the first year, like teach you about the animals and raising chickens in your backyard. Like, and his like, he's just there because his payment is the fact that as the land steward, what the investment group gives him in return for his labor of regenerating their land is he dollar cost averages his labor into an acre or two cut that becomes his homestead. It's like a lease to own for him. Mm -hmm. So now for the herd shares investors, he's getting cattle for his labor. From the landowner, he's getting land for his labor. So he's getting paid a unit account and land and animals directly incentivized with alignment of all the parties where they want success in the exact same things. Wow. That's beautiful. So you just tend to the land until you actually own a part of the land. And while you're tending to the land, you're getting returns on the, on the cattle that you're, that you're ranching. Exactly. This is a I mean, part land. of this too, I have investors reaching out to me who are like wall street guys, right? They're pretty wealthy. They're like, man, I really want to start investing with my, like with my ethics better than I'm doing. But like, they want getaway and fallback properties for their family because they're worried about the world getting chaotic, but they either don't have the time to manage the land and steward it and get it ready, or just don't have the knowledge. I mean, because as the world's getting chaotic, chaos is opportunity. And a lot of these guys, they want to stay there and create the next chapter for it because it's like, that's where they turn the page of kind of staying on the horse until the very end. Cause that end where that crack up boom is where all the chances are. So if I give them an opportunity to provide a place of safety and security for their family by enabling this land stewardship contract, they're like stupidly happy about it because now they feel like not only do they get to stay on the horse in their, in their given field, but now they feel like they're being faithful to their family again. They don't have this background stress of what if things fall and I've not made my family secure because together we're taking care of each other. They take care of us by helping provide some of the capital we need. We take care of them by providing the expertise and the durable resilience for them to have long stage security for their families. The synergies are just fucking beautiful. 
Uh, I want in. Somebody's like, <laughs> been thinking about where to buy land. That's like, I'm like floating in some weird yep. limbo right now. Um, and this, this sounds incredible. It's exactly what I'm looking for. Um, I mean, you as an investor, you could buy multiple properties, have somebody out there regenerating them because we've got tons of people in the portfolio that are applying to us. And then as the nation shakes out, you can fall back to whichever one of your properties you choose and they're all ready for you. Right. So do you operate all across the country right now? Or? That's going to be the goal. The only place we're live is my actual farm. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of did a libertarian style contract where we just wrote it up and signed it between the two of us. So scaling this out, I'm doing more legal due diligence, obviously. I'm not worried about the peer-to-peer so much because we have deep alignment as I am about making sure that like outside government doesn't try to come in and stop us. Um, so doing verification on the legal team that these won't get classified as securities type things, getting the verbiage cleaned up like in the presentation so they all go into animal boarding and like herd share law situations and kind of make it all kind of private rather than public type like company type like literature, legalese in our documentation. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's a shame yeah, that we so have we'll, to put up with that bullshit. Like, I know. I mean, we got a market. We got people who want to do it. I got investors. I got laborers. We've got capital. We've got animal genetics. There's available land for sale. It's once again the broken regulated marketplace, right? Like, why can't we just go fucking build? Right. Just get the fuck out of the way, everybody. Like, nobody's, nobody's taking advantage of anybody. This couldn't be anything more of, like, mutual synergistic flow of us taking care of each other. It's just beautiful. Like, but no, we got to babysit you because you might be exploiting somebody. You know? oh, so so we'll go live state by state as the legal team choose through stuff. I've got, I launched up yesterday. I spun up a group of guys that are a bunch of Bitcoiners and a few other people that are doing an assessment of all the different states in our country. They're going out looking at like, when did they start mask laws? What are their eminent domain laws? What are their like, stand your ground slash duty to retreat laws or like what is their stance right now on bitcoin or like vaccine passport we're developing a ranking system that'll include like a heat map of momentum indexes of like are people seeming to move towards those states because they're freedom loving or move away from them because they're seeming tyrannical goal being we're going to use that to kind of map where we think the balkanization lines of our country will fall as the chaos hits Mm -hmm. and we'll put at the top of the stack of the priority going after these nodes of freedom. I'd like to have ranches and nodes built even in the places that are kind of more in the in-between zones, the gray areas, just because as the world gets crazy, some of us are going to have friends and family in those world anyway. It'd be nice if we have investors and ranchers that either wanted to be in those locations anyway, or like are willing just to be for the sake of the network, because that gives us a little bit of like a, a foot in the door of just a handhold to make sure we can keep our, our network safe. Um, but I'd like to build the majority of the cornerstone in these more freedom zones first to get a strong backbone. Yeah. I hate that my family lives in Pennsylvania. I wish, uh, God damn, again, we talked about it before we hit record, like living and growing up in Philly, being the bastion of where the country was born and seeing how piss poor of a situation. It's in today. It's been completely corrupted. But fuck. Yeah, it's turning into one of those shit-filled, heroin-needle-riddled fucking liberal. I don't even want to say liberal, but it is liberal. Like, fucking terrible 
places to be really degrading the the sanctity of the city in my opinion uh, but eh who knows maybe fix maybe things money. will turn around fix the money fix, fix the money fix the world yeah how can we fix people I mean, like bill gates buying up all the the farmland that's what i want to know poetic justice of us buy up all the cheap shit while he's buying the prime shit and when he destroys his we end up having the best because we flipped it on him and he didn't know we were coming boss why is he doing this what's his what's his mo is he trying to like control the food supply i think what he's going to do his typical mo cause a crisis swoop in his savior right that's his whole narcissistic thing he does i think his intention is to short sell the cattle market with this whole anti-meat agenda with legal push, as well as just try to squeeze them on their margins, maybe using finances or like just something. Like the and then try model. to push, and then try to push exactly. And then try to push everybody towards his fake meat bullshit. But it ain't gonna work because we can run these cows on scrubland. It just doesn't matter. He can try to do anything he wants to, to short squeeze us, but we are done short squeezable because we're low input. I mean, my carry cost per cow is like 50 bucks a year. So yeah, easy and, peasy and on top of that nobody wants to eat that fake meat shit i think it's no. it's disgusting it's glyphosate like, patties talk about <laughs> hubris like and, and not only that like people do it for environmental reasons those giant like <laughs> monocrop huge things they're they're the worst thing in the world for the environment because they destroy the local ecosystems. Cattle are collaborative. I mean, you get wildlife coming back. You get birds and things. Like some of these land that's managed regenerative, you get different types of like prairie grasses and trees and things that were kind of buried in the soil that there was a couple seeds left and they crop back up. And when you get these endangered species plants regrowing, then like Sometimes you'll have endangered species animals migrate back in and they'll start reproducing because their favorite foods on your property. Like it just regenerates everything versus the monoculture for this veganism, like we're saving the planet stuff. They just strip mine the soil and destroy everything. People don't realize how inverted it is. So ask backwards. It's like, again, the culture upside is, down world. Exactly. It's like, what the fuck are we doing, people? Like, Go out there, twerk, go take your Percocets, spend your paycheck, the last remnants of your paycheck at the club tonight, then go go home and eat your, your Doritos, get fat, beg for a vaccine. It's going to change your RNA. We've gotten so disconnected from life and reality. And that's the... Like, with Bitcoin too, like like I think Bitcoin juxtaposed with like the DeFi space, like really, like Bitcoin's trying to solve problems like this, like in meat space. Like we just like we don't need like a a crazy financialized world and like doing all these swaps and yield farming. Like we need to fix the money to get back to actual good farming, so that we can live happy lives with our families in meat space. Like it's everything else is too focused on on the digital and the metaverse and, and all that shit. And I think it's completely misguided and really doesn't the people pushing in that direction. Don't understand what Bitcoin's trying to get us back to. And like Bitcoin via the proof of work mechanism with a difficulty adjustment. Like that's what it does. It molds the physical and digital worlds via energy. And it's just trying to get us back to a place where we do live in a, a digital age, but it allows us to, to enjoy the physical world much better than we are now. I agree. One of the things that blows my mind 
is how much the high-speed fiat economy and how it's all about access to the easy debt windows has incentivized incompetence at the top of the hierarchy because it's about the ability to politic and people please more than it is about competence. Yeah. It's, there's no, there's no merit. There's no first principles. There's, there's nothing behind it. I mean, I just fucking, I have CNN on here. CNBC, excuse me, not CNN. Um, just like trying to watch Squawk Box um, to see if like they're, there's mentioning anything about like the Bitcoin mining space. And of course, like the CEO of Exxon comes on and he's just like virtue signaling about green energy and all that shit and like how they're going to move away from, from oil and gas. And it's like, yeah, you're just, you, you're not a competent <laughs> CEO of Exxon. You're just virtue signaling because that's what's going to get your stock the, price up. He controls the money, controls the world. Because if you don't pander to that debt window, you can't keep up with your competitors who do. Right. And it's like literally they, like in the oil and gas space, like the ESG narrative is so strong that these execs will literally do anything to fit within that narrative to pump their stock price instead of actual productive work. Like the whole yep. car, uh, I'm going to get myself in trouble because of, of what we do at Great American Mind. It's like it's all accounting bullshit. There's no like actual oomph behind it or it's, it's all a game. Yep. The fiat game. Yep. And not necessarily invest in a real change either. I like I, like a crazy example of this that just is so representative of how fiat's broken our world. I've got a buddy who's a like high-tech R&D guy. He creates new technologies, bootstraps a company, flips the company, does it like rinse repeat over again, right? His recent project, he's been having this really interesting problem. He created this new tech. It's a giant disruptor in a very like, ossified market and we should probably talk offline i can give you details later versus public i don't i, I don't want to give too many details um but this is it's a game-changing type product right and it's not the first time he's created things like this and he's going to people he has all the labs done with this tech and the proof because he's got actual like prototypes finished he's got like he's done life cycle testing everything he's got all this paperwork I'll call people, I'll show them science. And this guy's good. He's a good presenter. Like he's very strong in communication. And the problem he's having is all these people at the top of the competence hierarchy in these companies, the decision makers, they had that fiat mindset, right? So, I mean, where the tech came from, he called these people and said, okay, what's your biggest problem? He figured out their problem. He said, okay, I'm going to build you something to fix it. He fixed it. He called them back. He goes, okay, I've solved your problem. And they're all like, I don't believe you. And they won't take time to look at it because they're spending all their energy chasing this whole pandering to politics thing because it's incentivized this games of just playing with each other rather than solving for the real problems. How yeah. many things like that? I mean, I know him and how many times he's tried to get text to market and things like this have burned his energy and wasted his time. How many different people in the world would be creating world-changing stuff if it wasn't for that friction in the marketplace because of the incompetence? Yeah, I mean, what would our world look like? It's mind-blowing to think uh, the the opportunity cost of people being stuck on the hamster wheel dealing with all this bullshit instead of actually doing productive stuff. It's insane. I mean, Again. it's it's good. It's going to blow people's minds when the Bitcoin renaissance happens. I'm like, where does all this come from? And all of us real builders, like, guys, we've been waiting to do this for decades, but you just wouldn't get out of our way. 
Yeah. I mean, we see it at Great American Mining. With, like we, we actually drive well with much smaller, medium-sized producers than the big guys. Because the big guys, again, they're worried about virtue signaling and they're still they're still following like the party line of Wall Street who they buddied up with. Uh, like, oh, Bitcoin's like uh, hurting the environment, all that shit. It's like, eh, all right. Similar to what you're going to do to Bill Gates, we're going to do it to, to the big oil well, companies of the world. We'll start on the margins and outcompete you until you have to deal with us. Yeah, yeah. You buy, you'll buy up the farmland. We'll buy up some gas assets. Build a full. I'll buy up the scrubland, turn it into farmland. <laughs> I want to. I want to go after collaborating, man. Where like we actually run cows in some of the gas assets land. Oh, we. I mean, time, low time preference. We're working our way up to that, but I mean, we got Tom on our team. Yeah, I was actually telling him, I was interviewing you t- uh, last time we were talking about it, and he was actually excited because he's uh, via proxy of his wife. He's been on like a huge regenerative farming kick for like, the last six months. He said he's watched more regenerative farming content on YouTube than, than any human awesome. probably ever has. So, um, no, that's something we're only like, that's the thing. It's weeded out earlier, like, especially if done successfully. Like you, we can have this async asynchronous Citadel network that breaks away because you don't need anything. Right. Like, and I, and I, like I was talking to Wyoming a lot because of the situation in their state where you have the ban on fracking on natural land. Um, they have a lot of stranded gas assets off of federal land. The, the pipeline infrastructure isn't there or there's no demand from California because California is fucking dumb. And they're like, <laughs> They're like moving away from that type of energy. Uh, and so like if Wyoming wanted to in the state, like they could easily invest some of their their state funds in some mining infrastructure, tap open some of these stranded gas assets, start mining Bitcoin with it, scale that operation up, and then become completely self-sovereign. Like, like I want these states to start seceding, like build, not seceding straight up maybe, but like secession won't be like a declaration to the U.S. government, like, "Hey, we're leaving the United States. We're no longer a part of it." But it's just going to be like, "Hey, we produce enough revenue uh, within our own borders that our people we don't need to tax them." And guess what? We don't need your your tax revenues sent to us anymore either. Like we can become completely self sovereign and and yep. bootstrap this ourselves using the energy sources that that exist on our land goodbye not like goodbye but like hey yeah we don't need your federal funding so we're not going to contribute to it once again it's the fuck you ability to get off the hamster wheel of the oligarchs that rent seek and oppress us right it's going to be a battle dude love it dude here's here's a little rabbit hole for you one of my favorite things about regenerative agriculture is it's proof of work of work being done and store of value of value being captured as an investment for the future synchronously right it's one of the few places where you're doing both at the same time it's like alchemy it's almost creating infinite from nothing because not only am i grazing this land and getting yield from it as a proof of work like the grass is capturing the sun energy and that's a proof of work of the roots and all the stuff happening there the cows are grazing which is a proof of work at the time for them to create meat you know like do you have this real yield happening but it's also sequestering that work into the soil for more potential of future work later. So you're at the same time doing 
proof of work and store of work to save more work potential for the future by your work. So you're creating and saving in perfect synchronicity. Yeah, it's beautiful. And it's like, it goes back to like, like the land provides, if you like, don't get disconnected from the land, don't get disconnected from nature. It's all connected. Like it's all here. God gave it to all of us. Like it's here. Like we can live off the land. It's possible. And it's to, an infinite, it's an infinite resource because as we steward it appropriately, it's capable of yielding more. It yeah. doesn't take away from it as you yield. When you steward it with a proper mindset, as you seek that yield, you inst like you impregnate in it the potential for even greater yield. <sighs> we need more. And thinker. not just the and not just the food. Like if I mix in, say, this biochar operation, right? I can grow trees in my pasture at a 30% density without slowing down the grass at all. It actually is beneficial. The cows can eat bean pods and leaves off the trees. It actually helps with the moisture durability of the soil. And I can coppice those trees, meaning cut them. And then the root stock of the tree stays alive and regrows more lumber again. I can do that on like a cycle of like cut a row each, each year and use that to fund, to fund the um, inputs for the creating energy for the community. So now my land's growing energy repeatedly from nothing and it's generating more soil to grow more energy later. You need to get on more podcasts bigger than tales from the crypt. Um, <laughs> I need to get you on, on. We need to get the word out about this. It's time. It's time freaks. Let's fix it. Let's fix all of it. I'm going to have a hell of a time keeping up. I mean, I've already got 60 applications just from Nundi on Dallas's podcast. And if I'm really going to try to take the time to trust build, I mean, each of those guys takes two, three hours. I mean, you're talking weeks of work just for my current application pool. And yeah. that's not even counting the time I'm spending building the operations here itself of the network and like all the backbone we need for the structure here. How, like what help do you need? there's any help that any freaks listening can provide? That's a really good question. I mean, it's blown my mind how good the allies in the network are. I'm just, I'm like humbled and grateful. Like, like even where this started from, right? When I started my ranch here that sparked all this off, back October, I was broke, like flat broke. I, I'm a young guy. I built a business contracting, doing like residential fencing and stuff for nothing. We worked full-time jobs, me and my business partner. We were borrowing tools like nights and weekends to go do repair jobs. And we bought tools as we went to build a contracting company from zero. And we eventually, I mean, we got trucks and trailers and we got a mini skid steer and we got all sorts of stuff now, right? We're up and rolling. I mean, we're booked out five to six months constant now where we're charging a premium on our jobs in the local marketplace. And we still can't keep up. So we're doing well, but as of October, I was still kind of at that place where I'm paying down the debt that it took to get to where we are. Mm -hmm. And in the midst of all this, it's like, I am, I found Bitcoin in 2019. This is my first bull run. This is my escape velocity to really get free to really better chase my purpose, you know? And I'm looking at this, I'm as deep into Bitcoin as I can get. Like I like, I took out some debt and everything on all my personal carry was in Bitcoin and it, I'm looking at this like, okay, this is my lifeline to get some leverage. And I feel this call in my heart. Like now's the right time to be ranching. And it makes no fucking sense because I don't have any money, right? I don't have time. I don't have money. It's like the resources aren't there, but like 
sometimes you just feel it. There's just that resonance, like that logos, I guess is what I'd call it, where you just know. Mm-hmm. It's like, you need to be obedient in this or you're getting off the track. This is your footsteps. You, ha- you must follow, you know? And intellectually, it's like, this is the wrong, wrong, wrong time. Because if I deleverage now, I don't get off the hamster wheel. And I need to be off the hamster wheel to make the ranch work. <laughs> and uh, so that's, I mean, I had the land opportunity, the mutually beneficial lease come up. I committed to it before I knew how I was going to do it. I'm like, okay, I'll deleverage a little bit by two or three cows. But then I had the investor, he actually cold called me on Twitter. And I actually told him no at first pass until he sent me an email that told me why he wanted to be a part. And I was like, oh, shoot, this guy's a brother. We're meant to be together. I feel the logos again, you know. But point of the story, every time I interact with him, I almost want to cry when I hang up the phone. I'm so grateful for the brotherhood that he brings to it. Because like, like so many of us, right, before I found Bitcoin, I've been trying so hard to build things that matter in a world where I don't really have very many people around me to get it. You've been alone and fighting against it. You're just grinding and all this energy and there's just friction, friction, friction. You finally build something beautiful and then somebody does something stupid because you had to give somebody a little bit of access somewhere to make it work in the beginning and then it pops and you have to do it all over again and bend down with worn out tools and broken hands and rebuild it, you know, like the <laughs> the uh, Kipling poem. Um, so like with this network of Bitcoiners, when I met my investor, I had this thing I knew I had to be obedient to, but I didn't feel capable of being obedient to it until he showed up. And when he invested in these cows, he gave me the ability to be faithful to this thing I felt calling me without me deleveraging my finances to be able to hit a skate velocity to have freedom for this year to be able to be who I'm being. And without him, I wouldn't be able to be being faithful to my own heart or my own calling, I feel, of my soul of who I'm supposed to be. And the funny thing is, I think he feels the same way because he tells me those things when we hang up, just like I tell him. He's like, dude, I knew I needed to be investing in projects like this. I knew I needed this for my family, but I didn't know how to do it. Like I was felt like I was letting down what I was hearing in my heart until I met you. And together, like we're obeying the logos only because of each other. And I'm so grateful for you. Right. And that's just how the deal's been. That's how the deal's been from like the first moment. Right. But every single Bitcoiner I'm meeting who shows up and hears this story, it's the exact same fucking thing. It's like, I've had all these pieces of my life of something I've been doing that I didn't get why it didn't make sense. I see now what I'm supposed to be doing. Let me in the fucking door so I can build with you. And I'm like, guys, like, this should be something I do an equity raise for a startup, but I'm not going to because I want to do decentralized matchmaking rather than corner the market. Like, there's no equity return here. They're like, we don't give a shit. Like, we want in. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. We're building with you. Let us in the door. (laughs) So, like, I've had so many Bitcoiners just jump in to be allies. Like my legal team are volunteers. I've got a guy building a project management, customer management system and a software stack for doing the interview processes. That's a volunteer. Like I've got guys doing criteria and filling up a real estate, like potential pipeline funnel going out and doing like, um, like wholesale stuff where they're drumming up leads of product properties that are on the market. They're volunteers. Like, I've got a meme team, like everybody's just showing up of like, we believe this is the Citadel Foundation and we got to be here because this is important for us too. And we're just building the thing together, dude. Right. Like, like as far as the team goes, I mean, I, I think I found what I need for solving the legal problems. 
um, I think I've got what I need for pretty much every facet that we're working on. The one thing is the hard part, and this is this is the kicker, right? Like being an asynchronous community, trust bridging of trust networks is everything. And we can't compromise on that. We have to be able to speak with our authentic voice and know each other with honesty. I mean, this is what shit coiners don't get, right? Like they're trying to make a buck to get the world's hardest money. We're working to build trust networks because we're pursuing the world's hardest money with a low time preference, where we know if we build reputations and trust together through collaborating with honesty, that we're gonna have access to the networks of those that are the emergent leaders in the next generation of humanity. We yeah. just, it's, it's a whole different goal. It's, you've said it so eloquently. It's great. I mean, as we've been having this conversation, I've been trying to think of the words to articulate this without coming off as offensive, but like, you're like the most insightful person you've had on this podcast and you're a farmer. It's like, you know, like you're much more than that, obviously, but like, it's funny. Like I've had the crypto VCs and the, the thought leaders and the finance types and they can bullshit all day about price projections and markets to compare Bitcoin to, but this is what it's all about at the end of the day is actually doing work and your hands dirty and providing a, a tangible vision of how this is possible to actually fix the world in a world that seems pretty desolate right now. And it's, it's happening. Like, and that's the other beauty of Bitcoin too, is like you said, like all these people coming to your, to volunteer to, to help see this vision through because they think it's, vitally important for the future of humanity uh it's crazy that like you're going through your first bull run now but it's crazy that bitcoin can enable these people to do that it's like all right yeah i've got my bitcoin i want my citadel like i will invest in my citadel in whatever way i can whether it be sweat equity or or sats like let's make it happen and there's like i said in the beginning of the episode there's many of us out there we're never able to really meet up in a centralized location or in our own locale but now we met through the internet and we're we're gonna fix this i think we're gonna do it i think uh the primitives are there uh, to use some shit coiner talk yep if if i can have anything that people remembered from me talking with you today it'd be this line the plebs will inherit the earth because they're gonna build it together All right that's yeah. what we get that none of the shit coiners and other people do we get that trust is everything. That if we want to actually build something that matters in a generational type mindset, we have to do it together, which means we have to live with a deeper integrity and honesty where we come together in a way where we protect relationships above all else. That's our cornerstone. Money, language, all those are just communications tools to enable deeper human collaboration and trust. But it's built upon the cornerstone of authenticity and honesty. Yeah. I love that. And it's, I mean, I've had very similar experiences in this space. Like, like, Great American Mining, me one of them. Like, just these guys listen to my podcast, Tom specifically, and he reached out. He said, This is what we're doing. And I had that same sort of pull that you described. And like, this is your calling. This is, you want to be true to yourself if you weren't going toward this. And, I'm sure there's many other freaks out there listening to this right now that have very similar feelings, right? Like this is calling, like, again, nags at my brain. Like I wake up every day, like, all right, we got to fucking make it happen. Like, let's, let's do it. Like, it's not, 
if not me, then who? If not us, then it's going to be them. And the world they're building is fucking scary as shit. So I'm glad to be on the front lines with you, Joel. I'm very excited to see what you build and how this network gets built out. And obviously, I do want to get involved um, in some some capacity as you know i've uh, i've bought a cattle but i think your regenerative uh, model and the the, the co-op model makes a lot of sense in this distributed uh, citadel build out is, is is beginning with the food with the cattle it all starts with the cattle and with the money i'm i'm so grateful man like i i for so many years just wondered where my brothers and sisters were people that were willing to take the hard road of choosing the right path, even when it cost them over and over and over again and stay the course. Like I sometimes just want to weep in gratitude for all the plebs I've found who just have done this day in and day out together, man. Like I like, God, it's such an honor. It's just, I feel so humbled getting to be a part of the community with you guys, man. It's just, it's a privilege. It's a treasure. Like, uh, I just, I can barely even get my head around it sometimes. I mean, we we say, we say bullish on Bitcoiners, but man, it's like, it it cuts me to pieces. I just, I'm so honored, man. I'm so honored. It's, I am as well. It's a, it's crazy to think that we're alive at this particular time with this opportunity. It's like that old proverb, like may you live in interesting times. I actually don't think you're going to find more interesting times than this. Um, Like the, the opportunity that exists with the onset of Bitcoin and the ability to just take the bull by the horns and, and fucking build our future that we want without permission is it's not going to come around too often we got to win too man it's either a totalitarian unified world government that destroys us all or the renaissance of humanity into being something greater than it's ever been before yeah. there's no choice but win in this this is chips on the table we build together and we make this thing go yeah and we need more strong there's no men. other time yeah and we need more strong men and women a gentleman like yourself standing up and speaking truth and, and pushing back against the insanity of our world today. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for joining me. Where can we find out more about you, what you're building? How can we help? I mean, like how can anybody help if they want to offer their services or yep. get involved in the network? Um, untappedgrowth.com is the website. That takes you all the cattle co-op information. You can follow me on Twitter at Untapped Growth. I'm on Telegram at Untapped Growth. Anybody wants to volunteer, be a part, I mean, you can put in a application on the website to be a part of the grazing stuff. Um, there's like an overview page that explains some of it. I'll have some more detailed stuff on the website soon. Um, just put in the application that you'd like to volunteer your skill set, such and such, or even send me a DM or a message from Telegram. Um, I mean, between me and you, Marty, like this whole thing about like, good men and women like good hearts this trust networking this is my biggest problem and i'm honestly not that sure on how to solve it just being forthright because being at the front of this thing my job's going to be to discern who should be the emergent leaders that i let through the gate first on this thing because there's always going to be more applicants because the value prop here is beautiful that i'm going to be able to immediately give opportunities to and i need I don't know, man, just pray that I have the wisdom to discern that well, to bring the right people to the top of the stack. That way we build a good foundation here from the beginning. And if you have any ideas for how I can get better at doing that, I mean, I can't necessarily scale that by bringing in other people because I need to be judging the trust here because this is the network I want to build. 
Heck. So if you have any ideas, I'd love to talk about it. I mean, I, I guess I could throw up a donation link or something. I mean, because having a little more financing can help definitely. Money's fuel. It can just help solve some other Iranian extraneous problems in other places. But that's not really the core issue here. I mean, I'll, time solves my other problems, but I can, I'm good enough to solve them even without financing. But like this, this trust thing, that's, that's the thing that's where all my energies focus because I want to build this right with the right people. That way our foundations as an asynchronous new nation state of Bitcoiners is strong that we're founding this and enabling the right people to be the ones that gain influence of being collaborative from the jump with self-sovereignty. Yeah. Both, in, right. both investors and land stewards. My, my advice is a close confidant with a good bullshit meter. Like we're lucky at Great American Mining to have Tom because he's got like the best bullshit meter. Like he saved us from so many bad paths just from cutting it off at the source by knowing like just being able to read people, right? Like just via conversation and you got to get to know people. Not that I'm like the one to give like the ultimate advice on, on this particular topic, but I just from experience, like somebody with a good bullshit meter who has good values and is a strong man or woman and will, will stay true to the, themselves and their values. Um, will be able to weed out bullshitters, middlemen. Yeah. Vipers. I'm definitely, definitely given a huge ranking too, to people I know who have contributed deeply to the community itself. Cause people who are volunteering time to help support this whole birth of the Renaissance and to ossify the right monetary layer and all these different things they have proved their skin in the game and people that are doing the same with me, like volunteering with the network, like the legal guys or the guys helping me with software. Like that's kind of one of the best ways I know to do it is looking at your track record of character in the community itself. Right. Um, I guess. So if there's somebody like, if I can maybe help pass names around too, that could help maybe people who have interact with different people in the community, they know what their track records are in different places. Because I got a little bit of reach, but I don't know everybody. If we can build the network where we can kind of say, like, this person did right by me, they should be at the top of the stack. That'd be helpful. Yeah. yeah I'm not yeah. sure how you can build that, but I could talk that through maybe with my software guy. And we could kind of have an input system for, like, verified trust networks, maybe. The, like, informal, the informal grapevine always, always works, right? Yeah. Okay, have, you, have you worked with this guy? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, so maybe maybe just getting lots of people like yourself who I know are good, authentic, honest people that I could just have permission just to have access to you to just suit you an email of like, or do you vouch for this guy, yay or nay? That probably is one of the biggest problem solvers for me I possibly could have. That way we know like this guy's proved himself building in the network with these guys. We know he's honest. Yeah, I mean, feel free to email or DM me whenever. I mean, I'm happy to do that stuff. I already do do that stuff a lot. Um, no, it is, the plebs yeah. get it, man. It's a good the plebs filter. get it. We will inherit the earth because we build together. We are inheriting the earth and we are building. Keep building out there, freaks. Freak plebs. Any of you who doubt the plebs out there, just listen. Re-listen to this podcast. Listen to what Joel's building. Listen to the passion. Again, the like the intellect behind it, like the, the holistic first principles thought that's gone into this project, this idea that you're bringing to market is insane. I, I, like, again, like I said, like probably one of the smartest people we've had on, on TFTC to date. And 
found you what? I mean, we, we hopped into DMs two weeks ago. Okay, I got this idea for regenerative cattle, cattle ranching. We should talk about it. It's like mind blowing. Thank you again for doing what you're doing, for coming on and just keep crushing it, man. We're going to change the world. One, uh, one cattle at a time. <laughs> I love it, dude. You got any other questions about the project or anything that you want more clarity on? Uh, yes, I have a lot more, but I, I don't think uh, <laughs> I don't think they can be solved in in one one two and a half hour podcast. Unfortunately, I do have to go for a gam call in five minutes. Right. But um, well, let's jump, man. We'll do I appreciate this ag- your time, Marty. We'll do this again. Um, and to, to everybody listening out there, if you guys aren't close to Bitcoin world, Marty's kind of impressed with what I'm building here. I am not unique. Every single pleb that I've gotten to talk through as I've been building, I feel like I am outclassed by them. All these anons and stuff on Twitter, man, do not underestimate the brain drain into this community. We're in a synchronous nation state that's going to rebuild everything, and we're the best of the best. We're coming. We're going to end it on that. Peace and love, freaks. See you.